Hi, I'm Jason, and this is another episode of Rewind and Review. As always, I'm joined by my young Padawan, Rob. I think I'd actually be your master. No, I don't think so. Welcome to Rewind and Review, the retrospective podcast where we have a look at an existing property from the past, delve into its legacy, discuss how it's held up over time, and even give our own personal experiences. Did we watch it as a kid or sometime later in our lives? This episode of Rewind and Review will look at a film that celebrated its 20th anniversary in May this year, in the year of 2019. With a ninth instalment in this film's main series arriving in December this year, we're going back to where the saga began with the fourth movie. Uh, you know what we're talking about. So grab your lightsaber, kickstart your pod racer, but leave your Gungan at home as we rewind to the year 1999. We have to go back! Go back, Sam! What year is it? Are you telling me you built a time machine? It was 1999, the end of the decade, the end of the 90s, and it seemed like everyone was racing to get their movie out before the turn of the millennium. And amazingly well-made movies, too. Um, suddenly, we were bombarded with hit after hit with movies such as The Matrix, The Green Mile, The Sixth Sense, Fight Club, Toy Story 2, American Beauty. The list goes on and on. But then we got the highest grossing film of the year, with George Lucas bringing us the first prequel to his Star Wars trilogy, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Written and directed by George Lucas, produced by Lucasfilm, and distributed by 20th Century Fox, The Phantom Menace is the first installment in the Star Wars prequel trilogy, and although the fourth to be released, it is the first film in the nine-part Skywalker saga, which we can <laughs> say now, I guess. Uh, be warned that if you haven't seen Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace yet, or any Star Wars for that matter, who knows what we'll talk about, mm -hmm. uh, but you want to go watch it first before listening to this episode, we will be talking spoilers. Yeah. Now, set 32 years before the original film, The Phantom Menace follows Jedi Knight Qui-Gon Jinn, played by Liam Neeson, and his apprentice Obi-Wan Kenobi, played by Ewan McGregor, as they protect Queen Amidala, who is played by Natalie Portman, in hopes of securing a peaceful end to an interplanetary trade dispute. Uh, joined by Anakin Skywalker, played by young Jake Lloyd, a young slave with unusually strong powers of the Force, they simultaneously contend with the mysterious return of the Sith. So tell me, Rob. Mm. First of all, Star Wars. Yeah. You like the Star Wars? The War of the Stars? I don't mind it. I'm not going to say that I'm, like, a huge, giant, super, uber, nerdy fan of it. Yeah, I wouldn't even say I'm a super, uber... What do you say? Giant nerd? Uber nerd? Uber nerd? Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't even say I am either. I enjoy the Star Wars. I like the Star Wars. I have Star Wars things. You I, do? Okay, I do like the Star Wars a lot. But I'm not obsessive. I don't even know. If you, you could name a random species and I'd be like, I don't know what you're yeah. talking about. So, I mean... I'm like... I watch the movies. I think they're cool. I like stuff. I'm I'm a big enough fan to know the movies throughout. Yeah. And and know trivia. But I'm, I don't know... The extended stuff. Yeah, the extended I know canon stuff and... to a point. I don't know much about some of the animated stuff, but we'll talk about that. Yeah. But no, no, I'm, I'm a medium fan. 
So when it comes to the Phantom Menace, this yeah. uh, the start of the prequels, I think that where where I think that George Lucas did not make a mistake with these movies. Whoa, that's that would be my initial take without telling you about my thoughts <laughs> on this specific movie that we are talking about. But I I think he cops a lot of flack. Um, I think that the prequel trilogy were targeted at a different demographic than I think were who who actually received it. Um, and yeah, that's my that's my thoughts on it. Um, now this might shock you, because and this might be weird, and uh, I guess I need to reveal something. Um, I was a latecomer to Star Wars. Oh yeah. So the original trilogy I <laughs> did not watch until maybe I was. 10, 11, 12, oh, wow. and if you know my age, and if you do that math, the first Star Wars movie I watched was episode one, The Phantom Menace. What? Whoa. So this was my exposure to Star oh, Wars. Your experience with Star Wars is how it, it is intended, or well, not as well, intended, but <laughs> chronologically. When I, when I watch Star Wars now, like if I do a marathon, I watch them in release order. Oh, okay. I don't watch them chronologically. I don't do that weird one where you skip one and go to... Three, yeah, yeah, okay, four, yeah. five, one. I don't know, you, or whatever, oh, yeah. whatever they do. I don't that weird, crazy one. Yeah, I, I just watch them chronological, like in sorry, release order. Um, looking, you know, like when because I this was the first movie I watched. It was the gateway into Star Wars, so it'll always have that special place mm. in in my film history for me. Having said that, though, I. I'm an intellectual with a brain, I like to think. And obviously when you when you look back and, you know, I'm exposed now to all the Star Wars, or as yeah. much as I've allowed myself to be. Um, yeah, looking back, this might, you know, I can see that this isn't ideally the Star Wars that people love and have grown up with and, mm. and all that. And my appreciation of the original trilogy is, is up there mm. um, and where most people hold it as well. So, you know... Yeah, it's even though I've been on a weird journey with it all. It's yeah, it's uh, yeah. You have a very different journey. No, to I me. still I still have a high regard for, of course, the original trilogy above all of the rest of the Star Wars, including the prequels. So, <laughs> well, I I I I watched you know the original first before like I a normal person. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I'm a couple of years older than you, but I did watch this. So when these came out, I was. Well, when this this came out, um, Phantom Mouse came out. I was You're 13 like 40, years old. Yeah, yeah no, 13. Yeah, that yeah awesome. something like that. Very <laughs> 13, 13, 40, I don't know. Yeah, 20 years ago. 13, yeah. <laughs> Jeez, I'm old. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I um, so I feel like I was the intended target market for this. And I feel like everybody who was older than me who had that legacy, nostalgic mm. attachment, the reason why they were disappointed is because it wasn't to them. Yeah. Um, it was very much to younger people, I feel. Well, I think for, for you, it appealed to you still being young, but having that Star Wars yeah. background and with me, it was, like I said, the, the gateway. It led me back to the original Star Wars, which, you know, I fell in love with when watching them. I was like, whoa! Even though I knew the whole thing with Darth Vader and the, you know, you know the Skywalker lineage. Um even watching that moment for the first time in Empire Strikes Back, I was still like, no, it still works. Yeah. This is amazing. Like, yeah. what is happening? That's cool. I knew this was happening. If but, anything, you, know, you would have had a different anticipation. You know? Yeah, like I always knew. I've never had a moment in time where I didn't know that was a thing. So, yeah. But yeah, for some reason, the original Star Wars has never appealed to me for the longest time. I just didn't get it. I was like, mm. you know, space 
fantasy, so I was like, eh. Whatevs. Whatevs. Big robot dinosaur looking things. You'd think that would appeal to me, and I was like, no, nah, not even. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, there we go. Yeah, I don't know. Just didn't. All right. But, well, let's talk, let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about this film. And its overall series as legacy. 115 million budget by the box office. Yeah. 924.3 million. Couple of dollars. Now, in 1999, almost cracking a billion. Far out. That is an immense amount. Um, but there was a 3D re release in 2012. Right. Which, you know, if, you, if you're cheating, you throw in those extra dollars. We did get to $1.027 billion. Couple of dollars, couple of dollars, which is a um, so loose change. All good, you know. It was it, at the time, I believe, it was considered the most financial, like the most successful film of its time of time. It'd be a, it'd financially be a profitable one. Yeah, I don't know like where that. it sits on the list now, but I think it did take the cap. Obviously, um, the only thing that would have been competing with it at the time, anyway, would have been Titanic and things yeah, like that. Moderately pretty cheap. Like, yeah, to, yeah. Um, but it did receive mixed to average reviews from <laughs> critics, and at the moment, Rotten Tomatoes has it at fifty three percent, average of five point nine seven out of ten, which is yeah, pretty mm-hmm. pretty average. Um, Metacritic fifty one out of a hundred. That's thirty six reviews, so you know about the same. So it is the lowest rated Star Wars film, um, excluding the animated The Clone Wars, and Star which I don't Wars. understand. That I understand. So and the Star Wars holiday special, holiday special so we don't talk off. about because it, it doesn't exist. It, it, well, it, it does, but yeah, no, it doesn't. <laughs> but um, yeah, the Clone Wars movie wasn't that bad. I thought, and yeah, nah. It, it was. It, it sucks. Was, that didn't it get was bad enough that it didn't. But... It didn't entice me to watch the Clone Wars animated series, so... which is now officially canon. Let's not, we'll talk about that in a second. They're all, all right. yeah. Those animated shows are canon, which is nuts. Incredible. Um, but yeah, I mean, I understand why it's the lowest, lowest mm. rated Star Wars film because it was a surprise. Um, so some of the comments from critics says it's burdened by exposition. And populated with stock characters, the Phantom Menace gets the Star Wars prequels off to a bumpy, albeit visually dazzling, start. That's fair. I think there was a lot of world building that was happening here it with was. the intention of, of capitalising on that hard work down the road in the next two movies. So you've got to forgive it for that. Because you're, yeah. you're, you're reintroducing us product it does expand on the star wars universe like quite immensely in just one film there's a lot of stuff happening and i think yeah. we'll agree and, and we will get to all of this but you know visually aesthetically like this is a pretty good looking movie yeah for, for 19.99 as well and even yeah. even today I, I think you know not to jump too far ahead but yeah you know this is a Pretty decent watch. I will hold my comments. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on Blu-ray, on DVD, however you watch it, but uh, we'll get to... What did you watch? We'll get to... DVD. <laughs> Blu-ray. Do you know why I watched DVD? Why? It has the original, un, unaltered theatrical cut. Yeah, so I watched the altered... Like, yeah, mine yeah. was not the theatrical I version. own both copies. I own all the styles on Blu-ray. It's not that much different, on- though. Like, there's a bit of extended stuff in the pod racing scene. Yeah, anyway. there's, a, there's a bit. There's a bit. Um, yeah. Awards. Academy Awards. Nominated for three. Uh, best Sound Effects, Editing, Best Visual Effects, and Best Sound. Um, but all went to The Matrix. Kind of rightfully so. I think They're so. Two, two <laughs> bit. If, you could do, if you could give two movies awards, like for the same like same awards, yeah. it, it was definitely a worthy 
winner, I well, think. that's it, yeah. But The Matrix was amazing, too. Matrix. And we've talked about that. That's it. Go, go check that out that episode, that. guys. Um, what else? Saturn Awards won Best Costumes and Best Special Effects. Cool. MTV Movie Awards, Best Action Scene, and Young Artist Award to Mr. Jake Lloyd. I wonder what he's doing now. Uh, not much. Uh, Golden Raspberry <laughs> Award, uh, or the Razzies. Uh, so it was nominated for seven. Worst Picture, Worst Director, Worst Screenplay, Worst Supporting Actor, Jake Lloyd, uh, Worst Supporting Actress, Sophia Coppola. Which uh, is a surprise. She's very a non-speaking role. The very limited role that she has. Yeah. Um, well, I guess Worst Supporting. There was no support given. Yeah. Uh, worst <laughs> Screen Couple, which I think is odd for this movie to couple them. Because they had children. They, right? Well, yeah. Jake Lloyd and Natalie Portman. Yeah. Um, I guess you know what's going to happen, so I guess maybe you do. Yeah. yeah. And one Worst Supporting Actor... Ahmed Best. Yes. Oh, mate. And we're going to talk about him. Oh, mate, Jar Jar. Uh, <laughs> franchise. So, apparently this is part of a franchise, Jason. Do you know that? I, I mean, yeah. it is. Now, we will we will streamline this because I think the people the people know, but, you know, obviously we have the original trilogy. Yeah. Um, episodes 4, 5, and 6. A New Hope in 77, The Empire Strikes Back in 1980, and Return of the Jedi in 83. Yep, they're so, the big ones. They're the good ones. Everyone knows them. Um, see it. We know them. We love them. We hold them in high regards. It's we, all there. We do indeed. Um, and then it comes the prequel trilogy, yeah. which this is the first of. So we had Star Wars Episode 1, Phantom Menace in 99. Uh, episode 2, Attack of the Clones in 2002. And then the third one, finishing it off, um, Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith in 2005. Then it all comes down to the, the whole Disney buyout, which was fun and all that, and uh, it brought us to... Oh, it was the, a hoot. It, it was, was a real hoot. What a, what a journey we went on there. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the sequel trilogy, and we're about to get the capper on that with the with the third movie in that trilogy, but yeah. it started in 2015 with episode 7, The Force Awakens. Okay, um, A New Hope Light. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, Diet and you. <laughs> I mean, yeah. The controversial uh, episode 8, The Last Jedi. Expectations subverted, very much so. <laughs> um, and we will get, of course, this December, right before Christmas, um, depending on when you listen to this, might have already seen it, um, episode yeah. 9, The Rise of Skywalker. You and Luke doing it? You are doing it. Of course, that. don't of course, even be. Yes, uh, me and Luke are. on uh, that film shoot will be covering that. Gosh. You know what? I'm not going to be able to actually see it. Until uh, I get back from my little trip. I'm going on a holiday, ladies and gentlemen, for a couple of weeks. Which means I'm not going to see it till early January. So I hope I don't have it spoiled. May the, force, may the force be with you. <laughs> like, what can I say? You... Uh, I bet you I'm going to have it spoiled. I bet you it's going to happen. Anyway. I'm going to um, say new stuff. <laughs> Screenshots. That is the least nice thing you've ever said to me. Um, moving on. We still have more things in the franchise. we got the anthology films. So we had Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, released in 2016. Um, and Solo, A Star Wars Story, which was released in 2018. And they, that's kind of done for now. I think they've put a pin in the, in the Star Wars stories. For now. For now. We'll see if they make a comeback. I think they will. Yeah. <laughs> um, there were some TV films. Yes. Um, Star Wars Holiday Special in 78, which doesn't exist. Um, <laughs> the Ewok Adventure in 1984. And Ewoks, The Battle of Endor, 1985. Yeah. I don't believe these are canon, though. So These are expanded universe. Bear that in mind. Yep. Um, animated series. We have Star Wars Droids in 1985. Ewoks in 1985. Star Wars The Clone Wars. The, um, film. the film in August 2008. And the series kicked off in October 2008. Yep. That one, I believe, is... Canon, Star Wars Rebels 2014, also canon. canon, and Star Wars Resistance 2018, canon as well. So those three animated shows 
are canon. And you said you haven't seen any of those, have you? I have not exposed myself to the animated world of the Star Wars, except for, like, the Lego droids and stuff like that. I would like to, especially the Clone Wars, because... With the shows being on Disney Plus now, this is the time to do it. Yeah, I don't need to do anything of an illegal nature to get to the shows. I don't have to buy anything. They're there. And by the way, Disney hasn't brought us. We're not promoting Disney right now. We're just saying there is an opportunity to watch all of these. But Disney Plus available right now, (laughs) in the UK or other territories. So not in the UK yet? Not yet. Not till January, February. Oh, poor guys. (laughs) Okay. um, Live action series. Apparently there's this show called The Mandalorian. Like the biggest show. It happens to be taking the world by storm. (laughs) There is an infant in there that is just absolutely... Just keep it's the craze, the hype. It's the craze. The pop culture behind it. So the Mandalorian is doing hot stuff. Um, I can't wait to watch it. I haven't seen it yet. There's an untitled Cassian Andor series. So he's the character from Rogue One, I believe, played by Gabriel Luna. Is that his name? I never... Possibly. I'm taking a stab there. Um, That's scheduled for 2020. The the Mexican fellow. Wow, okay, yep. yep. Um, There's also um, recently announced the untitled Obi-Wan Kenobi series. No date as of yet, but... We've been waiting for this forever. the, The Ewan McGregor that we get from this movie, Phantom Menace... That Obi Wan Kenobi, yeah, you know he's he's coming back about bleeding time. Mm, about bleeding time. Right, now let's quickly talk about expanded universe really quickly. Yes, yeah, so there's a bit to it here. So basically, from 1976 to 2014, the term expanded universe or the EU was an umbrella term for all officially licensed Star Wars tour, storytelling material sent outside the events depicted with the theatrical films. So, you know, like we're talking the novels, the comics, the video games, Lucasfilm, yeah. uh, maintained internal continuity between the films and television content and the EU material until April 25, 2014, when the company announced all the EU works would cease production. Yes. Existing works would no longer be considered canon to the franchise and subsequent uh, reprint would be branded under the Star Wars Legends, Legends. label. So, that's all the thing. Yeah. So, so a lot of the stuff that... So, Up until 2014, a lot of the stuff that was tied in is no longer canon. Yeah, and I think part of this was also with the purchase of Lucasfilm by by Disney as well. Mm. They wanted to choose, like decide on what was and wasn't canon, what was in, and by disclosing removing all of that from canon, they could do their sequel movies without having to be restricted to different other thoughts, other sort of uh, plots in history yeah. that were to come. And look, I actually agree with it, um, and I'm saying that from a point where I don't. I'm not familiar with a lot of pretty much all of the extra content, but for this as a consumer, it's easy. I now can easily see a paved road of the entire storyline yeah. without without any any question. Basically, marks. watch the movies, watch the the animated shows and the live action shows that yeah. are here or on their way. Yeah. But this movie in particular, The Phantom Menace, and we should get back on track to it. Yeah. It did it did plant certain things. For the bigger Star Wars universe going forward, things that are introduced in this in this movie, we got the introduction of the midichlorians. Um, Insert groan here <laughs> from everybody. <laughs> basically, microscopic organisms that mediate the use of the Force. So the fact that they put this in the film has been controversial among among fans. Basically, yeah. it negates the spiritual quality of the Force. Where do you stand with your groaning uh, midichlorians? I think I, I don't know it. why people complain about. It, to be honest, because they explain it very clearly in this movie that if, if um, and I I'd encourage people to go watch the uh, there's a movie by not a movie a film 
a video by Cinema Wins that covers this episode, and it covers this massive complaint. And it says they there's still a spiritual element. It's just the midichlorians are a concept that help people be more aware of the force. They're not the producers of the force. They're just part of the system. The force is still this overarching spiritual concept. It's just that the midichlorians are the catalyst for people to actually understand it and access it. No, I don't accept that at all. That is all, that's, what, that's what he movie, says. What that's this what movie saying. does has Qui-Gon did with a device where he can just take a sample of blood yeah. and... and Pretty much gauge how much force is inside you. Bullshit. No, no, no. It just becomes. No, it's not. This scientific is the problem. This is the problem. Stupid. The midichlorians are not a a. They're not an indicator of how much force. They're an indicator of the connection to the force. The physical <sighs> no. connection to it. The force is still an overarching spiritual concept, but some people have access to it more than others. And that's got to be a physical thing. So how do they do it? They have a physical manifestation of something that's in you. I think it's fine. I think it's unnecessary. Silence. <laughs> um, what else happened in regards to Legacy? It's Darth Maul. He appeared. Um, and he actually seems to die in this movie. But he's popular, I'm imagining. And he's resurrected in the animated series, The Clone Wars. And you also see him in Star Wars Rebels. And you also see him in the post credit scene, I think it is, in Solo, a Star Wars story. Out no, of that, just, no, just in the movie. Is it? Yeah. I thought it was post credits. Is that the end? It's near the end, but it's yeah. it's the movie. Oh, I'm trying. I barely remember that. I saw that. <laughs> I saw that on a plane. Understandable. <laughs> <laughs> it, to be honest, though, I gotta say it wasn't that bad, but it wasn't. It's just not great. You know? <laughs> because it's not, of, it's not Rogue One great. Because of Solo, <laughs> no movie, and I'm not saying this one in particular, but no movie is the worst Star Wars movie because Solo, Solo. The Star Wars story exists. <laughs> so there. I didn't mind it, but um, so but out of out of that stuff. The only thing I've seen Darth Maul in is what we're talking about today, and, and yeah, that, yeah, yeah. So. Um, there's been a bit of a cultural impact, you know, pop culture, Star Wars. Everything. Had no idea, but particularly again to this specific movie, Weird yeah. Al Yankovic uh, released the parody song and music video, "The Saga Begins," which interprets the film's plot from Obi Wan's point of view to the yeah. tune of "American Pie." I and remember that. I can't help every time I hear "American Pie." Seeing the lyrics by accident. Is it by by this here Anakin guy? Yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah. My, my, this here Anakin oh, guy right. kissed his mummy goodbye or something. Soon he's going to be a Jedi. He's going like, to yeah. be a Jedi. Yeah, yeah I remember that. Mm, Hilarious. Stuff. Good stuff. Um, Darth Maul's lightsaber fighting style um, served as the inspiration for the 2003 viral video Star Wars Kid, which I haven't seen, but that's interesting. You haven't seen Star Wars Kid? No. Nah. I live under a rock, <laughs> apparently. Have, do you have internet? <laughs> um, I live so far away, but no, <laughs> I do. Thank you very much. Now, this movie, Fanboys, uh, which came out in 2009, is a comedy film directed by Kyle Newman, which stars Sam Huntington, Chris Marquette, Dan Fogler, Jay Baruchel, and uh, Kristen Bell. It's about a group of friends who plan to infiltrate Skywalker Ranch and steal a rough cut of The Phantom Menace. Did you ever Have you ever checked this movie out? Never heard of it. It's, it's an interesting what it's the whole setup is about how excited they are for a new Star Wars movie and yeah. the ending which I won't reveal it but the ending is just I mean it's just the funniest moment yeah just because I can't even explain it you just have to well, see well like it. Jay Barrichell whatever his name is and Kristen Bell it's so. a fun little like like a teen adventure movie where they're just up to hijinks and stuff it's, it's one of those things you know like not an amazing movie by any regards but <laughs> it's a worthy sort of 
just outing. There's lots of cameos. I think um, Carrie Fisher's in it. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. No, it's all fun stuff. Nice. But that's The Phantom Mouse. That's just legacy. And we're done. Um, so, <laughs> thanks for listening to... No, we still got heaps to talk about. What do we want to jump into first, mate? Well, let's just talk about when this movie starts. When? Not where. Well, like how? Well, it starts with a trade dispute. Between yeah. two, two different planets. Yeah, so you can... Well, not planets, because well, Trade Federation is not a planet, but... Well, they are, but they're not. They're like a, a yeah. conglomerate. But anyway, yep. But essentially, the movie is about... when you someone, What is this movie about? It's about a trade dispute. Yeah. And uh, trying to negotiate that. What's your thoughts on that? I mean, it sounds pretty dull. It sounds pretty dull, but in terms of the... I think... I feel like it's a good mechanism it's, to get it's things going. It's just a background plot that drives the rest and there's a lot more going on yeah. so it's not you know the, it's not like it's just about people talking about trade issues there's always got to be a catalyst and what this does is it opens the universe out to show truly the scope of the galaxy yeah because at things... the moment it's just been before that it's just been there's a galaxy and you see a couple of planets but you don't really know how yeah. connected they it's were Tatooine and Hoth that's yeah. about it where else are we going <laughs> you got Endor as well oh Endor's fun sure and Yavin and that's Yavin Base. It sounds, like you, it sounds like you're a bit more of a Star Wars nerd than me. That's as far as I go. I got two planets down. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. But the op- the opening the opening scroll, you know, like that's what that always just brings me into the Star Wars universe. You know, yeah. like the music, John Williams, Star Wars, the scroll. But you're reading that text, and it is pretty boring. <laughs> it's pretty boring. From the opening, you're like, oh, okay. You know, from all the from the three original Star Wars movies, it's always been like crazy stuff is going yeah. on. You know, like Empire, well, it's wars, Star yeah. Wars. You know, the the galaxy is at war. Luke Skywalker is doing this. The Resistance is blah 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 blah. And then this movie opens, and it's like a trade dispute. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> You're like, and that's oh. yeah, that is it. Definitely sets a different tone from the very start because, like, the whole concept of Star Wars is as soon as a New Hope opens, it's about a war. They're in the, the war. They're in the middle of a civil war, and this is nowhere. There's no war to be seen. In fact, it's not until the third act of this movie that yeah, even where, the nearest kind where, of concept of conflict is there. Where but, are the Star Wars? But you know, it's Episode One. It's, so this could have been called Naboo War. Naboo War. It's bigger than Naboo. It's bigger. Than Naboo. It starts only in Naboo. Naboo is the catalyst for everything. But let's let's just get John Williams out of the way because yeah, and not to belittle him in any way, but we all know he's amazing. We all know yeah, him and Star Wars is like a, a package deal. He's just there. there, except for Giacchino's, you know, outings with you know the the Sully, the Star Wars stories, and yeah. you know, whoever's doing the the scores for like the TV shows and stuff like that. But John yeah. Williams, Star Wars, that iconic thing can't go past it. But there's a lot of music in this movie, which is I think is identifiable to just this movie. Yeah, and I like. The soundtrack. Yeah. A whole lot. I do too. There's a couple of things that are sto- like just kind of staples for the Star Wars universe. Um, and the opening scroll is one of them. John Williams' tones another. And then, well, I guess, actually, to be honest, if you think about it, like that's really all they really committed to with this. The rest of it's a different feel. It's a different scope of movie, really. Well, they've got Jedis. They've got Jedi Knights. No, but it's a different <laughs> Jedi. It's a different concept. Like, Yeah, it's Jedis before... Set their prime. Order 66. Yeah, yeah. Pri- prior to the 66 moment. So <laughs> let's talk about the Jedis. Qui-Gon Jinn, by the Liam Neeson. Yeah, and then, of course, we've got Obi-Wan Kenobi, Ewan McGregor. Yeah. Now, I guess the interesting uh, thing is, you know, it's, it's all about, oh, we have to see a young Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know, that mm. mystical figure that we saw in 
well, a new, new hope. hope, and then as know, a spiritual being in returned. Yeah, Force Ghost in yeah, that's it. Yeah. Empire Strikes Back yeah. and Return not the Jedi. most not the most skilled swordsman in a New Hope, but here. He's pretty good. <laughs> I, I, that's one of the criticisms, I guess. Like you get like these lightsaber duels in this movie, and it's like I get it. They're young, they're more skilled, and then they're later on men they're old. Back and, in the day, yeah. but it's like you know they're pretty dull yeah. <laughs> lightsaber fights in the Although in the did, original movies. Although I would say, thinking back to the older movies, Darth Vader is very restrictive in the way he fights, and I think a lot of it's manipulative because he doesn't want to kill Luke. He's trying to manipulate Luke. It's so thinking humors... covering, uh, yeah, covering the tracks there. That's um, good. And the fight with Darth Vader and Obi Wan at the end of New Hope, like you, I just get that he's just humouring. I mean, they they haven't really practiced their fighting, but it really needs to. They're just to. toying. They're just toying, and then he, and then like you said, Obi Wan just gives up anyway. So <laughs> yeah. it's not like yeah. And then then Darth Vader's just like oh, okay. I guess we'll, goodbye, old friend. I we'll guess. get to those movies maybe one day, at least the first one. I look uh, forward to doing that one day. Yeah, there one are. day. What do you reckon about Ewan McGregor as Obi Wan? I think, I think. I mean, he's you know he doesn't have the the beard in this one. He's clean shaven. He's very fresh. Looks very young compared to when you see him next. He in, is a Padawan. He's an apprentice. At this, yeah, in this place. you know. And the, but when you see him in the next movie and he's got the beard, suddenly he starts looking like Alec McGuinness. Yeah, like he. He starts doing it. He's got, you know, the they sound the same. He kind of he embodies the character, and I think mm. very good casting for him. And I think that's why people are celebrating the fact that he's coming back to reprise yeah. again for the Obi Wan series. If I'm not holding, like not holding my cards too close to my chest, but I feel throughout the whole prequel trilogy, he is one of the strongest elements of it, if not the strongest, to be honest. But that's just I agree, take. and probably the best actor, which isn't. A hard thing to do in those movies, but uh, yeah, you know, not, I think Hayden Christensen wasn't that bad. I think what I think, the hell? I think, no, <laughs> I think I think that Lucas's writing was just—it was just not. Like, he just did what he could because I've seen him outside of that, and he's Sad. not a bad actor. It gets everywhere. That's the that's the writing. <laughs> you can't do anything about that. Anyway, we're not talking about Attack of Clones. Um, Qui Gon Jinn, Liam Neeson. So I really like this. I thought so. He's the embodiment. Of a, a bit of a rebel Jedi, he doesn't play by the rules. He kind of manipulates everything a little like bit. Like he's in the system. Like, is he a part of the council? Like, no, he's not no. on the council. So he, um, Obi Wan, at some point says, "You would be on the council if you played by the rules. Yeah, if you were stuck so to the reckless. code." But he's yeah. not. He, so he's not he's reckless. Got, but he's he's um, got a good. So he's basically. I feel like he's a, a flexible Jedi. He's like a vegetarian that eats chicken every now and then. Yeah, yeah. you like he. He's the chicken with the code is, until the, the chicken's code... the chosen one, and the, the Metachlorian account is high. He's going to yeah. eat that chicken. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he, play, he plays with it. It goes against the council's orders when it is suitable to him, but it's yeah. generally for a good reason. So because the the council themselves are just stuck in their, in yeah. their ways to their code. But I like him. I think. I mean, I remember watching it for the first time, and I, as soon as the big red gates were coming and Obi-Wan was stuck behind it. I knew immediately at that point. He was done. He's dead. He's he gone. Done in. He's a goner. Up until then, I didn't think so. I was like... Because I knew that this, there was going to be a trilogy, and I was like, hang on, I think he might have an arc. Yeah, like but, you would think that a character like... Qui-Gon is really cool. Yeah. Like, he's really cool, and you'd expect that, you know, they'd use as much of him as possible, at least for the, you know, the, the trilogy, at least. Maybe do him off yeah. in the third movie or something. That's something that you would predict but mm. and it's very 
I mean, I don't know if he's appeared in, in, in like, the, the Clone Wars or anything like that. It's like a Force Ghost or something. But, like, you never see him again in Star Wars. Yeah, he's out. He's out. And I don't he's think done. he has because, because I think to be a Force Ghost, you have to come to that certain realisation of the Force, which both Obi-Wan and Yoda do. So do you think Qui-Gon, because of his rebellious nature and... You yeah. Know, and in saying that, Anakin does as well become a Force Ghost. But I don't think he does come to that realisation, so I think that might be a bit of a plot hole. But the rest of them... Like, Yoda says that he's aware of something that's happened, like as in an old friend, which is Obi-Wan, yeah, has somehow become a light enlightened to this next mm. plane. Anyway, but Qui-Gon doesn't do that. He just gets killed and dies. I think he's... I think this movie, by the way, is Qui-Gon's movie. Just summarising. Well, he's the one that's getting everything in motion. He's yeah. doing things. He's, he's got the plans. He's got... Not those plans. When I say plans in Star Wars, you think of yeah. Star Wars. But he's got the, be plans, the plans of action. Yeah. Um, he's the one that discovers Anakin and you know, like brings him to the Jedi Council and yeah. you know requests to train him and all that. He sets everything up in motion that we eventually um, leads us to you know mm. where everything goes: the rise of the Empire and mm. you know Darth Vader and all that kind of yeah. jazz. Yeah. So yeah, he is. A big player, and it's just crazy that he's not utilized again in the Star Wars movies. Like they, yeah, they he's him not even referenced to my memory. In saying that, I'm not super familiar with all of the content, but I just yeah. do not remember. He might, be, it. he might have been referenced in like Episode two and three, possibly. At not that I remember. Really, wow, even in passing. In fact, I actually know more Does about c- Attack of the Cones and Revenge than Does I do Obi Wan mention his master or his previous master or something at any point? He says he was trained by Yoda in the original trilogy. He says a lot of things in the yeah. original trilogy that doesn't fit. But when, but you, that's when okay. you see Jedi School, you understand <laughs> that they're all kind of teachers. It's not just apprentice-master yes, relationships. Yeah. They all get taught. Like, as a Padawan, you're trained in a, in a school and then yeah. in classes. So, yeah, but you still do have a master. Out. But it's that way that Yoda kind of... Because he's teaching them how to use a little ball. Anyway. Yeah, that's true. Let's, let's talk about some bad guys. Now, they're all introduced pretty early on. Like, they're not hiding anything. Um, I we, don't think it fully explains the Darth Sidious slash Palpatine thing. No, but we, we, you get, know it. we get exposed to him, and if you know, you know. So yeah. I mean, obviously, the first time watching it, I didn't know. I was just like, hey, bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> but that aside. There's a bad guy, but and we got, there's a weird, good slash bad guy. Yeah, so we've yeah. got Darth Sidious. Or, or Palpatine. Senator, Senator Palpatine. Correct. Ian McDiarmid. Yeah, Ian Mc yeah. So you see him in the cloak, and you know if you know the Star Wars, you know the the Empire. The Emperor. Yeah. and he has that weird raspy voice. Yeah, he's... all very Empire. crazy. Uh, you introduced the Viceroy Newt Gunray pretty early, who is the most racist um, accent that I've ever actually. This heard. movie, this movie does. It's like it was. It's like an, a, a cheap American dubbing of something. It's like we just yeah. need. Distinct accent, so yeah. let's just. Silas Carson, who plays Newt, right? Lucas actually uh, insisted that he had a Thai accent for some stupid reason. So is it Thai specific? It's, it's not... Thai, yeah. Because I was just like, well, you just Asian accent. It's, it's, <laughs> well, it's the most. But have you noticed that the droids have got slanty eyes as well? It's truly. Okay. It's truly a. If you look at it now, it's so like, is it like? Whoa, a, hang on, is it sort of like a, you know, like a space version of like going to Vietnam, like fighting, you know, like well, an they're, Asian they're, army they're or just some sort? A, they're, they're just a foreign oppressor, right? And so it's just subtle, but 
That's subtle, but it's still there. Yeah. Like the. Did we name check Newt Gunray? Is Silas Carson? Yeah, Silas Carson. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Carson. So you know, he's playing his his part in this movie in regards to like the trade dispute. Like he's yeah. the one that's mainly involved in you know mm. the negotiations with Army Dollar and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's good to see him sort of. You know, it's just another sort of species, another character that yeah. add to the roster. Expan- expands the universe, and that's fine. That's it. But Peter probably just could have done it a little bit better, but that's fine. We get a glimpse of Darth Maul very early on, just, you know, behind Darth Sidious in that hologram. Yeah. And we're sort of like, who is he? Mm. We don't even know what colours he is unless you've seen a poster. Yeah. But, you know, he's all blue and hologram. But when we do get introduced, or well, reintroduced to him later, it's yeah. like, Darth Maul is so cool. Yeah, he is. <laughs> Out of all the... You know, besides, like, Darth Vader, you know, we mm. get other characters, uh, other yeah. Sith characters throughout these movies. None of them have been as cool, mysterious, and... Well, who do we have? We end up with Dooku, who was played by, what's his name? Christopher Lee. Yeah. And then General Grievous, which is all CGI, basically. Well, he's a droid. He's a droid. And both of those key villains, I don't think... Like, they're all... They're pompous and... Yeah. Whereas he, this guy's mysterious the, and quiet. And you get to the sequel thing, and it's powerful. like they did nothing with Snoke, so what is that? And then Kylo oh, Ren, yeah. you know, take it or leave it. I actually like Kylo anyway, yeah. You know, that's. I think I'm a big Adam Driver fan, and I think he's. I just don't know what's happening with him. So, you know, it's a. Well, that's why you got to watch the next maybe, one. Maybe, you know, maybe I'll be like, well, wow, Kylo Ren, but, you know, Darth Maul. Like, you know nothing about him, yeah. but he's got this cool, like, face print. He's all just cloaked up. He says, yeah. like, n- barely anything. He's got those spikes on his head. And so, the you, double, so, the so double-edged Darth, lightsaber. So, so Darth, cool. Darth Maul's played by Ray Park, and Ray Park is actually um, one of the, choreog- the fight choreographers. And when they saw him with doing the saber choreography... Lucas said, no, nah, okay, you, you're going to be it. Just be him. But he's got a higher-pitched voice, and so it was... Um, it's Peter Serafinowicz, I think is how you pronounce his name. He provides the very, very few lines <laughs> that you hear, but it's dubbed. It's all dubbed. Yeah. So Darth Maul actually has a higher pitch. Like, Ray Park has a much higher-pitched voice, which would have been funny to hear. But again, with... Um... <laughs> But I mean, we do see Darth Maul again in in other things, animated yeah. or that very brief moment in that very bad Star Wars movie Solo. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I'm just not surprised. Like I, I was surprised that they killed him then and there because he was so cool. You just want more yeah. of him. But I think maybe that's the appeal. I reckon if we got him in Episode Two and Three, mm. maybe I wouldn't hold him in such high regards. I think because of the less is more approach, I'm yeah. now going wow. Like I want more of him. Well, so. look, I feel like he had to die because he is. I think he's the embodiment of Obi-Wan progressing from an apprentice to a master. Is His master's just been killed, and then Obi-Wan uses a bit of that anger and darkness and Avenge me. just yeah. goes to town. And yeah. Even though Jedis don't do revenge. But no, you know, well, they, need to get they, they all do. Like Luke, Luke, did it in, <laughs> Luke did it in Return of the Jedi, like when he's beating down his dad. That's all anger. But he manages to bring himself back. Whereas Anakin doesn't do that, neither does Kylo Ren. Because they, hate, dark side, etc., etc. Thank you, Yoda. Um, but I think also, like, killing Darth Maul, I mean, it was an important thing plot-wise. As Yoda says at the end of this movie, it's like, there's always another. There's a master and apprentice. So mm. did, which one did they kill? So it's sort of a bit of a tease as well, yeah. which only heightens the Darth Sidious yeah. um, Emperor thing. Yeah. Like... Yeah. The mystery there and what's to come. Yeah. That big tease. So, yeah, valid. Mm. 
Now you mentioned the the battle droids. Yeah. With the slant charge, I didn't really notice, but um, I'm kind of uh. Yeah, consider it like, now that you've seen it, you'll, yeah. you'll notice it and so you'll be like, oh. We're used to in the Star Wars universe, you know, like when there is sort of battles on the ground, it's always been, you know, well, we haven't had something of this of this scope and level, but yeah. usually the the cannon fodder is uh, like stormtroopers. Yeah. You know, whether it, whether it be like, you know, amongst the Ewoks, you know, like one mm. or two here and there getting shot down. Oh, there's more than that. Yeah. Not, not to this scale where it's just like, and it is, the use of CGI was... Enabled them to have that big battle scene at the end with all those droids, but the mm. the droids are essentially their our cannon fodder in this one. You know, like yeah. just the pawns that get shot off. So something different, and they act like it too. I hate their voices. <laughs> I hate their voices. They're just yeah. They're I don't. As in, I hate them, them now. When I was a child and I watched this for the first time, well, not for the first time, but I watched it repeatedly when I was thirteen mm. or so. I didn't mind it. I thought it was funny because it was I was a kid I mean, as a kid I mean, yeah. for me being the, the first Star Wars movie yeah. it was like I loved I just loved everything yeah. that's not the case now but I loved everything including yeah. the droids I was like oh hey you know, like, these robots and stuff like, they're just killing them like it's cool like, well I thought yeah they're amazing they're just absolute character for like they stand no chance against a, a Jedi but yeah. they just run you know head first into the it's battle it's just something yeah but um yeah I just didn't like like the I don't know what Lucas was thinking when he kind of gave them dialogue because they sound so childish. Everything they say is it's dumbed down, basic. It's not even doesn't feel like they're a formidable force in any way. It feels like they're a, almost a comedic force. Yeah, it's like a lot of the dialogue in this movie. It was like it was written for twelve-year-olds by a twelve-year-old. Yeah. No offense, George Lucas. You that's, that's, that's what I mean. We love you still. When I, <laughs> said, when I said at the top, this movie, I feel. The reason why it's disappointed so many people is because it was targeted at different demographics. It's like a big, huge, it's a really kids expensive kids' movie. Yeah. Yes, and I feel it succeeded tremendously as a kids' movie. But if you're older than, say, f- maybe 14 or 15, this is not a movie for you. Mm-hmm. As I'm in, a kid not- at heart, so I can find ways to enjoy it still. Yeah. But we will... Even, even, <laughs> the, even the original trilogy was more mature than this. Yeah, but even, there's a lot of aspects of that trilogy that you can still say are, you know... Oh, it's like ju- jo- juvenile sounds like a dirty word, but it's like, you know, the movies are almost family-friendly. There, mm. You know, there's nothing's too violent or anything. There's thematics and stuff that are a lot more mature, but yeah. overall, like, they're fun movies, adventure movies that you know, are wholesome, and there's a lot of heart to it, and I think yeah. that, that goes into family-friendly movies. Yeah. But again, with the thematics, it does raise it, the tones and stuff, the grittiness of it, it, it raises it a bit, where this is bright, yeah. clean, so it does lean more into, like, that kid Kid-friendly stuff. Yeah. Um, and speaking of kid-friendly and perhaps juvenile... And selling toys, probably. I don't know. Well, I was just going to say, our next <laughs> set of characters is the Gungans. And the one Jar Jar Binks... Moving on. <laughs> no, no, no. I have to say, so when I was a kid, I actually thought his character was great. I mean, fun. Because I was a child. Yeah, like you said, you know, yeah. like, it's it's all for the kids. And I I had, like, some... My mum picked me up some, like, Star Wars merchandise. I think she found some stuff on clearance, which is pretty funny. Mm. Um, that paints a lot of pictures. But heaps of Jar Jar Binks stuff. Like, mm. um, like there's, like, this lollipop dispenser I had, and it was, like, his mouth, and it opened, and his lollipop came out, which was, like, his tongue. Very weird toy. But <laughs> just suck it's on all Pez things where he opens his yeah, mouth. Yeah, Pez, Pez, all that, like all these kind of stuff. Like Jar Jar Binks was a there's merchandise. Like, there's masks that you could toy. wear and stuff. Like yeah. Jar Jar was a 
a character for children. And I think he achieves everything, his characterization. So played by, um, what's his name? Ahmed Best. So he's copped a lot of flack. It wasn't... It's not a knock at him. It's just the character. The character's super annoying. Yeah. But the performance performance of Ahmed. The performance of Ahmed Best. It's actually like pretty good. He's doing a lot of stuff. He's a very large character, lots of personality, like the voice. Like he's doing a lot of stuff. And I guess the also if you want to look at the design and the effects of Jar Jar Binks, like there's a lot to praise there. But the character is effing annoying. Mm. Like, watching it as an adult now is is actually, it's cringeworthy. It's like, every time he's on screen and he's doing something, yeah. you just like want to punch him in the and face. I, and I, I have to, I have to <laughs> say, I have to say, although I said I used, I was a fan when I watched this as a kid, I'm not a fan of him now. Like, it grates me. And that it does not me. shock me. Watching it yesterday, I'm like, oh, gosh, I, I mean, him. if some, I mean, there's bound to be people out there who are like, you know, Jar Jar being sympathizers or, you know, Fans of the Jar Jar, but maybe too. Did, did you know Ahmed Best appears in um, Taka Clones? Does he? So you know when they're in Coruscant yeah. during. Well, because Jar Jar Binks is in the other, in, is in episode two and three. Yeah, but only, Briefly. As, a, only yeah, as a cameo, basically. No, but Ahmed Best, the character himself, not with the gear. Oh. So he is. You know, they, they, um, they go to. I guess it's like a bar when they're looking for the bounty hunter in Attack of the Clones. In the background, he's he's in there. He's there, and so is Rick, oh. Rick Baker's in there. I just think as well. Sneak him in like, there. Yeah, as in just cheekily there he is without makeup kind of thing. Yeah. So we like Ahmed Best. We just hate Jar Jar. Yeah. So I think honestly the hate towards Ahmed Best is unwarranted. He was doing what he was told to do and he did it well. Yeah. I think putting that character into this universe was a terrible idea. I mean, it just it just doesn't fit with the tone of what everything else is. Yeah. Even though, like I say, it is a child. I think this was definitely intended to be a children's movie. I think it should not have been intended to be a children's movie. But we get we get more Gundams. Like we get the whole I get it. Yeah. Flock of them. All and of them. Boss Nass is another Gundam that features prominently. He's like their their leader, their mayor, whatever they are, played by Brian Blessed. Now cool. I'm I'm okay with. With his character, like he's doing interesting stuff with like the <laughs> stuff. <laughs> I was wondering whether you're going to do it. That's but again, you know, as we mentioned with like um, Viceroy, you know, the voices that they chose to give these characters, yeah. um, they are racially profiled. Like the like the Gundams are. I don't know if they're like an African sort of. It's got to be. Yeah, it's. I mean, they speak English and stuff, but no, it's broken English though. It's different. It's a different dialect. Yeah, Jedi friend. <laughs> no, yeah, but it's like <laughs> whatever he's saying. You know, like it's all. Yeah. So yeah, you've got your you've got your Asian villains. You've got your yeah. African Gundam tribe. Who are the warrior? Like, and but they're called savages or primitives, as in the droids yeah. call them. And the um, the viceroy guys saying we're going to search the swamps for the primitive, the rumors of these primitive yeah. people. So they are piled <laughs> down in lower stead, and they end up by being the most... They sacrifice themselves for everything, but they're seen as, like, lesser. Good one, baby. You, Great one. You, Good on you, Lucas. But they're actually... You're talking about, like, going into this one. They're, um, like, little civilization. They're... I don't know what you call it's it. Wicked. little well. Pretty cool. Yeah. Again, visually, pretty awesome. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I remember I like watching that and bright, going, whoa, colourful, we're pretty, going somewhere yeah. different. Yeah, this is awesome. Um, but, but the portrayal of Boss Nass by whoever it was that you said, um, I mean... Great character, yeah. Thought again, it changed it a little bit at the end. Um, changed it up a little bit. I remember 
you know, when they're planning the battle and he sits there and he's got his arm around Jar Jar and he said, I'm going to promote you to general because you brought our two peoples together and and Jar Jar faints and yeah. the boss just like laughs at him and just walks over, steps over him and just keeps on walking. I'm like, yeah, you give him no shits. <laughs> I, I think when you're introduced to boss now, I think the impression you're supposed to have is like, oh, is this going to be like a, a Jabba the Hutt sort of yeah. character, you know, like big, like are we meant to fear him? Yeah. And then there's that moment where his character cracks and it's like he's all happy and laughing yeah. and you're like, oh, good guy. And you see the smile on the Jedi's like faces, they're just like, cool, we'll yeah. our thing. Yeah. Without using Jedi mind tricks. Yeah, yeah. Or did they? No, no, they didn't. Although... No, I think they did. Not only for the first time, they didn't use them to mm-hmm. convince them to fight. So they said we can't, we need them to... I think they actually say it, we need them to decide to do this. Fair enough. It's fair. Um, you don't can't slaughter hundreds of bloody <laughs> people just by waving your hand. Let's talk. Let's talk. Padme Amidala, not Natalie. Which Portman. one? What? <laughs> so you've got Sa- Sabe, who's a handmaiden, maiden who is played by Keira Knightley, who impersonates Padme Amidala, yeah. and then you also have Padme Amidala, who's played by. Um, Natalie Portman. Every time I watch this movie, I find it very difficult to work out who the hell is who. Every time I see someone that looks like Natalie Portman, I just assume that's her, and I just go with it. Apparently, it's not. So every time it's she's in makeup, yeah, it's generally there's. I think there's only once where um, Natalie Portman's in the makeup. The I rest assume, of it's Kira Knightley. I assume when you see Natalie Portman standing next to a makeup, a makeup, a, yeah. a made up, a made up Queen Amidala. Yeah. Then it's somebody else. It's Kira Knightley or it's mm. whoever, Sophia Coppola. I don't know. It's Kira Knightley. Kira so Knightley. Sophia Coppola is just a handmaid in the just back. A handmaid, right. She's literally an observer. That's why she's the least. But I think when you character. see when you see Queen Amidala on screen by herself, you know, either talking to Viceroy or uh, Palpatine or something like that, but there's no handmaidens around. That's Natalie Portman. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Like there was that. There's a time where. Well, actually, no. To be honest, I think watching the reading the production notes, I think one of the only times that she's in makeup is when she's talking to Anakin. Anakin comes in to say goodbye. Oh, and and he he says, and he says, "I need to go speak to Padme." And she goes, "Oh, Padme's running an errand." Yeah, like that's Natalie Portman because she says something like, "Like, oh, she knows, like he knows, or she knows whatever Anakin needs to say." Like, just want to say bye or something. And it's like, she says, "I'm sure that that wouldn't have gone like as in that." She would feel the same way or something. Like yeah, that. whatever he says. So that's Natalie Portman, but I'm pretty sure if you're, the production notes say that the rest of it's Kira Knightley. And Kira mm-hmm. Knightley apparently on set was crying every time she was on set. She was only fourteen at the time because the outfits hurt, like they because they're wearing big headdresses and stuff. Oh, and right. Super uncomfortable. And so tiny body. She was very miserable small. on set, <laughs> but, but it was her like chance to kind of break out a little bit. But I'm glad you pointed out the fact that she is she was fourteen. Yeah. Now, when I watch it, it's like, she looks this... Okay, she, well, she doesn't. The, the older I get, the more I see it, and I'm like, okay, she is quite young in this. But yeah. I remember thinking she looks exactly the same in episode two as she did in episode one. And I was like, she didn't age at all. But then Annie can age, like, so much. But when you watch it now, I'm like, eh, she's quite youthful looking. Yeah. And- oh, well, I have to say, Natalie Portman was 18 during the filming of this. But she's, oh, okay. they're meant to be portraying her as, like, a 15-year-old kid. So, oh, I thought you just said that she was fourteen. No, no. So Kira Knightley was physically fourteen. Oh, Kira Knightley was fourteen. Yeah, she oh. was. She was. She's four years younger than Natalie. Oh, Natalie well, very confused. But either way, the <laughs> character at Padme Amidala is meant to be fourteen or fifteen yeah. years old, which means, and then Anakin is, is nine. Nine. So, so it's not as weird as it's not as weird, especially when he's twenty or whatever he is in mm. the next one. 
Like a lot of time has passed. All right, let's talk. I mean, but hang on. Singing on Padme, I thought she was a great character. I really liked. Yeah, her. I liked. I liked her as I liked her as Padme when she, you know, she invites herself along with the with the Jedi. It's like, yeah. oh, the Queen wants me to come with you. Blah blah blah. And yeah. like they go to, you know, they're on Naboo. No, they're not on Naboo. They're on where are they? Um, Tatooine. Tatooine. It is Tatooine, right? Yeah. Yeah, Star Wars. Yeah. I know things. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> when she's there and it's like, you know, Qui-Gon's, again, doing his rebellious stuff. And yeah. She's just like, don't think the Queen would approve. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. And it's like, she is the Queen. Ah. And then, and then a couple of times, like, and you don't even know before the twist, like she's talking to Qui-Gon, yeah, and she's like, yeah, I don't think the Queen would approve. But then he says, well, she doesn't need to know. And then she, the, you see yeah. her, her lasting comment after he's walked away and she goes, well, I don't approve. And well, but I mean, you'd be like, it. "Who are you? You're a handmaiden," and then you yeah. find out, no, she's actually the queen in disguise the whole time. I like when they do have the reveal, and she, you know, she sets forward, and it's like, "This is my decoy. I'm really the queen." Blah blah blah. Yeah. And it's like the face that Liam Neeson makes. It's just like, like impressed, a little bit hurt, but he's <laughs> like, overall, I'm cool with this. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, was like, I was like, "Well played. Like, well played." Things make sense, and it's like, mm, yep. And he does it. He does it towards Obi Wan. Like they kind of have a little bit of a moment where they're like, where they're just like, okay, oh, hey, oops, <laughs> she conned us. <laughs> she, she got us. So she's great. Um, we we get R two D two in this. We do get R two D two. More than C three PO, but we got R two D two. You get a lot of moments with the with the droid with Padme, mm. which I think is a little bit of foreshadowing to the, I guess, that iconic scene in. A new hope where you have Princess Leia yeah. giving R2 the, the message and and whatnot. Yeah. So it's like, oh, things of the future, yay. <laughs> Can I just comment in, re, in regards to R2-D2's presence, but going back to what we're saying about the Force and how everyone whinges about the Metachlorians and all that, right? The concept of R2-D2's presence throughout all of this, and Qui-Gon says this, Everything happens for a reason. Like when they don't have any options, he says, I'm sure an opportunity will present itself. And that's the religious aspect of the Force, where things, the Force will just bring people together. And R2-D2 and the relationship that he has with Padme and the way he kind of recurs, like what's the chances that the same droid will belong to Anakin, who, not belong to Anakin, but will present itself... To Luke Skywalker. Or to Luke Skywalker, well, to Padme and then therefore... Luke Skywalker, and just mm. be involved in all of this. And that's the way that Qui-Gon explains it. That's the power of the Force, is its overarching ability to just manipulate things. I think the fact that you get, like, RTD2 would see through... I mean, I guess that's a nice way of looking at it, but I think it is still kind of stupid. Yeah, whatever. Those yeah. two droids are so prominent in the prequels. I mean, they're there purely because they're iconic yeah. to the franchise. But, you know, I spent well, see, the whole years. time watching the prequels, you know, as they were coming out, I was like, so one day they're going to get, like, their memories wiped or something? Like, what's going to happen? Yeah. How do they not bring any of this up? Yeah. And then at the end of, you know, episode three, where it's, yeah, they, they like, do wipe. Wipe these droids' memories. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And that explains it. The only thing that's unexplained is um, Obi-Wan Kenobi's, uh, where he's in, in A New Hope, he says, I don't remember ever owning a droid. And he's talking about R2-D2, but he does know who R2-D2 is. But in saying that, he could have just been dodging the question because it would have been too hard to explain. I'd just like to think that Alec Guinness, uh, Obi-Wan in A New Hope, is just just a sneaky bastard. That's all. (laughs) No, but genuinely, that's what I think. He speaks in riddles and... uh, 
Yeah, but could, could you imagine in A New Hope if he Luke says, oh, this droid belongs to you, apparently, according to Princess Leia. He's like, oh, yeah, he's come on heaps of adventures Yeah, you, with yeah, us. you wouldn't like, believe the trips. Like, it's like, yeah, but let me tell you a story. No, but the easier thing is to go, well, I know that his mind's being cleared. So, no, know. I don't know. I mean, technically, he never actually owned that droid, so he's not lying. Yeah, so he just was, was in droid that was But R2-D2 is a star of this trilogy, I feel. Yeah. Like, he's just... He's the, wait, is he? <laughs> no, no, as in, he's a star. Like, he just appears, and generally, especially towards the end of this trilogy, he's, like, saving everybody by just doing different things. Like, he's yeah. kind of, kind of like, a, a main part. Like well, we gotta, we got to give a shout-out to Kenny Baker. Like, he's in that in that thing, and yeah. I think they're still using, you know, the, the mm. practical model with him inside, mm. uh, performing as R2-D2. So, you know, that's very cool. Yeah. But I think we're almost up to an hour into the show and we haven't talked about Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> Do you want to have a break and then we'll come back to it? Well, what a tease. So after this break, we will get into then Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Luke. And I'm Jason. And we are the guys from Nut Film Stew. Do you like movie reviews and want to keep up to date with the latest in movie and TV news? Then Nut Film Stew is the podcast for you. Join us every two weeks for some good times, laughs and firm opinions on the things we love. That's right. There's a new podcast released every two weeks on iTunes and SoundCloud. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram as That Film Stew Podcast. That Film Stew Podcast. Listen, comment, follow, share. The big fella. So Anakin Skywalker. Yeah, who's that? <laughs> Who is <laughs> this he? guy? So we have Jake Lloyd filling the role of the, the child version of it, uh, Darth Vader. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what know, this movie is. It's it's about. Well, no, well, I know. I disagree. No. I I do think that it was all, but I mean, all about um, Qui Gon. But okay, it's a key part. It's a key part. It's the the main kind of like the whole purpose of this pre- prequels is it's, to explain his journey. It's the so. pitch. It's like how did Anakin Skywalker become Darth Vader? That's yeah. that was the pitch, and I love. I do love that poster of it's Jake Lloyd. On Tatooine, standing there with a backpack, like he's walking along, and then there's his shadow, but the shadow is is of Darth Vader. Yeah. And it's like, ooh, fantastic poster. Yeah, definitely. Simple, paints the picture, no Qui-Gon in sight. So, there. There there you go. (laughs) So, I understand that it's all about his journey. Um, What has he done since then? Nothing. Nothing. He wasn't jingle all the way, but I think that was before this. Oh, yeah. That's all I know him from, just those two movies. Yeah, I do like. He didn't do much after. Anyway, I wonder if he gets heaps of royalties from this movie. Probably something in his contract. Maybe resist that. Um, but look, you know, I can't stand this kid in this movie. Oh, so interesting little tidbit on his on his on his personal life. It says here that he decided to um, retire from acting in two thousand and one. So that's only two years after this. Because of bullying at school. <laughs> oh man! So, no, that's not Jake, I'm so sorry. Like, we don't to hear want that. that. Like that's that's horrible. But um, but yeah, he's. I can't stand this kid in this movie. Yeah, I have to admit, <laughs> he's not the greatest. I feel like he's not the strongest child actor that we've come across before. Yeah, like he he isn't. He's a bit wooden. I have to say. Yippee! Oh, twice like, he says that. He says it twice. At he, least there's more. I mean. It's cute when he says to Padme, you know, like, when he first meets her, are you an angel? Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's cute, like, but also... This is the kid who's going to become it makes the most of, villain, yeah. the, the dangerous villain in the makes, galaxy. It makes me want to punch myself in the face. Mm. I'm like, what, like what, is, what is happening? He's, and, you know, he has, like, heroic moments in this where, you know, he's... He flies his ship at the end, and he's, there's that whole pod racing scene, which we'll get to, but he's doing mm. a lot of stuff, which is cool, but... 
just every time he's every delivery of line is just so bad. It's actually consistent with Hayden Christensen's performance <laughs> in Hexover. I mean, in that regards, <laughs> I have to say there's though, consistency there. This one, this one, this one, I feel isn't a reflection of the writing. This one's a reflection of the the actor's ability, unfortunately. Yeah. And we don't have anything to benchmark him on outside of this, really, because he hasn't really done anything else. Again, like there's there's nice moments, like with his with his mother and stuff, like especially when he when he leaves to go, you know, travel with Qui-Gon and stuff. He's walking away, but then he looks back and he runs towards his mum for like one last hug. It's like they're nice and tender moments, and it shows that there really was a person, a human, under that Darth Vader. Yeah. Well, reflecting as well, thing. he is a nine-year-old. Yeah, of course. So that's very much appropriate. It's just that. He doesn't come across as a convincing nine-year-old for anything else. <laughs> I mean, he is the world's best mechanic, apparently. Yeah. And oh, he is nine you know, years old. It's part of the environment that he's lived in, like the character, you know, like what he's been raised as, yeah. what he's learned, you know, what he has. I kind of feel like they should have made him the same age as Padme. I don't know why they chose to be nine. Look, I, again, like we're talking... Oh, well, hang on, I do know, sorry. It is, Lucas did say that he wanted the connection between him and his mother to be stronger than... He like he wanted to focus on that, and in order to do that, he had to be young. Because if he was beyond that age, he would already be chasing her. He'd already be well, yeah, he'd be a legitimate partner at that in this point for Padme, which wouldn't be that bad. But um, also his, <laughs> connect, on his connection, not so much. I mean, as his connection older, to his mum may not be as strong, so the emotive okay. factor's not there. So okay, so they wanted, yeah, they wanted to play with that a bit more, and I get that, and it, it is, it does show in this movie. Um, but I mean, if you didn't know. What, where these two characters would go, you wouldn't even... I don't know, I wouldn't really even be thinking it, because they don't go into it that much. Yeah, he says that she's, like, beautiful. Mm. But, you know, that's just I boyish just get, nature. Like, I just get she is. She's big a, sister vibe. That's all I get, like, as in... And you made it weird. Well done. <laughs> what? No, no, as in... As in she did, With Padme. She, like, I know... Oh, like, when she... How she treats him, him. I guess, She's yeah. just, act, like, she's mothering, but not mothering. She's just, yeah, looking after him, not... Where, so he's infatuated think, with her, but he's a child. Even her first dialogue to him is, you're a funny little boy. Yeah. Like, that's an odd thing to say to someone who you eventually grow up and... Well, they don't get married. Well, do they get married? Yeah. Yeah, in secret, yeah. But, you know, like, they have a relationship and stuff. Like, But again, they're children, so it's it's different. But, yeah, you're right. Like, there is a... It's not overly flirtatious in any way. It's sort of like... Like, uh, on a friendship, platonic, mm. maybe, yeah, like a sibling-type kind of relationship. Well, that's which, what... Yeah. Well, and I, we, I look at... Bear in mind, at that time, as kids, she's 14 and he's 9, there wouldn't be anything anything going on at that time anyway. Whether mm. Anakin's probably not even thinking about girls at all. And I guess, like you said, it's all about... Well, I think he's, child, he's childish still... infatuation, not, like, childish crush, not... Yeah, just like, hey, like, I understand, like, you're a pretty girl. Hi! It does get creepy in the second movie. We won't get too much into it, but when Hayden Christensen is coming on board as Anakin, and it, it, it's just like, I thought about it every day. Well, can I, can, like, can I, oh can I say, though, that, right, in its defense, is a reflection of like continuity here. He has a childish infatuation with Padme at this point. They separate. They don't see each other for a long time. But that infatuation could very well be... It could be an enduring thing based on the, like the really conservative structure of the Jedi way. It's it's something that he hasn't had a chance to actually get his head around. Because, yeah, okay. So if he had because the he's not been allowed to do it, he had the opportunity to meet other girls, go out on dates, yeah. whatever they do in the Star Wars. It would have universe. dissolved possibly. Whereas here, it's like it's 
he met this person it's from like outside the, his the world. One girl that he met from from off planet. Yeah. Um, and then he's just in, in his mind he's held on to that. that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So he's glorified her to something that's beyond normal. And then when they finally meet, he's super creepy because he hasn't actually <laughs> had a chance to become an adult. He doesn't know anything about that. And so he's still stuck with a childish mentality of how to act. That's that's my interpretation of it. And I don't think you can look at it any other way. It just sucks because it's cringy to watch and it's gross. But if you think of it <laughs> if you think of it from a storytelling point of view, I can't actually see any other way that he would act. Yeah, that's I guess that's all. Yeah, somewhat valid. It's just a terrible choice to portray it that way. <laughs> yeah, it's an, an but, uncomfortable choice. Yeah, but I guess there's validity there. So if we ever get to episode two, we can break that down. Totally. Furthermore, let's talk, let's talk about more. Who else do we meet with Anakin on well, Tatooine? Well, you meant you mentioned his. Well, you mentioned his mother. So let's let's see. Shmi. 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 Sounds like the the sidekick in Hook. Shmi. Yeah. Oh, I was gonna say Peter Pan. Peter Pan. Yeah. But yes, <laughs> but Hook works. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I actually hired Hook in far higher regard than Peter Pan. Wow. The Robin Williams masterpiece. Wow. Let's do that one year. So, Penilla August. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> getting yeah. back on track. <laughs> Shmi Skywalker. Yeah. I mean, yeah, she's, she plays uh, like his mother and, you know, I think it's it's more, I think it's more dramatic of viewing this movie as like, oh, the mother of Darth Vader. Wow. Like, yeah. there she is. But I mean, in this movie, you break it down, she's, she's just a woman, a mother, a, yeah. you know, a slave. Us. Oh, Anakin and his mum are slaves. Yes, they are way. slaves. Yeah. Well, like they don't, they're not free people. They're not free people. No, Shimi or Shmi or whatever, she needs to be um, somebody that you can sympathise with and she's losing her son and everything like that. It's a terrible scenario. But she's the right level of supportive of him. Like, she's a world... She knows her place in the world mm. and she knows that there's not real much future for her, but he's got this opportunity and so... There's been some criticisms about why she would be so happy for him to... Not happy, but supportive of him. But it's yeah. like, hang on, no, she's taken a realisation that there is nothing here and this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Off you go. And then Qui-Gon... I felt there was a really nice relationship between Qui-Gon and Shmi. Just, even though it's just that little period of time, there's a, well, there's almost, a gentleness. And it's an almost like, um, you know, they have the conversations and I still don't know how to interpret it where, you know, Qui-Gon asks Shmi, like... Uh, does he have a father? Yeah. And then she says, like, there is no father. Mm. Is she meaning it on, like, a spiritual level? Like, you know, yeah. was she, like, a virgin um, well, she's, they, mother? Or They say that Anakin Skywalker was conceived by the midi-chlorines. Yes, but or is it more like, you know, his, his father was a, a deadbeat that just bailed. So, no, there no, no. is no father, you know? He's dead to me, so there I, is no father. I thought that, and watching it again yesterday, I thought that, but then, then they very much clearly say... Is a chance. It's almost certain that he's been conceived immaculately. He is Jesus, basically. He's a Star Wars. Is that Jesus. in this movie or like yep. another one? No, no, it's in it's in this one. Is it? Oh, yeah. When he's when Qui Gon's talking to the council, he says it. Mm. I think I don't know. I always thought it was open to interpretation either way. But yeah, I think Qui Gon does kind of fill that void of like a father figure to Anakin. You know, like he's coming in, sort of saving and taking him away. So I guess the bond between Qui Gon and Shmi is sort of. You know, as like the two parents almost, yeah. or parental figures, so they have that sort of connection. Oh my God. But how's how's Qui Gon just you know like, I didn't come here to free slaves, and then when he does decide to get Anakin out of there, it's like I can only I can only say it's like you think he'd just he'd try a little bit harder, 
But I don't know. They have their codes. I just shoot Watto. I mean, yeah. Just like cut his head off with your lightsaber. Can you imagine, right, (laughs) if the reveal in Rise of Skywalker is Qui-Gon got it wrong. He wasn't... Anakin wasn't conceived immaculately. I still don't reckon that's confirmed, so I don't don't know that. No, no, he, he says it. He does say it, so... But he got it wrong. Because that's what he says. It's He says, it's a chance this is this is what's happened, as if it's not unheard of. Yeah. Imagine if really there is a Skywalker man who is his father, and he makes... He also has a different line, and that's where Rey comes from. Imagine that. If Rey ends up being a Skywalker, I think it goes against everything that these movies have been trying to say. Like, <laughs> I, I understand. Because the sequel movies have been trying to say, it's like... You can be anybody. It's not about the Skywalkers. Like, yeah. it can't, it's still... Like, you can be anyone from anywhere. It doesn't matter where you're from. If they cop out and say she's a Skywalker in some way, it's like... But imagine if it goes all the way back to this, and it says, it basically states that Anakin Skywalker wasn't actually a product of, like, the Force. I know there's, later on... He's physically a There's that whole story about, like, Plagueis, and I'm not going to get into it here, but, you know, like... And there's a whole... The myth, the the prophecy, the chosen one. I don't know anything about that, but... It's all messy and crazy, and it's like... I just want what the movies are telling us, which are, you know... Anyway, let's go go on to the blue one. Watto. Is he blue? He's kind of blue. He is blue. Yeah. He's like aqua blue. I got the the gonzo vibes with his his beak nose. (laughs) Well, what we would say is probably alcoholic, overworked, mechanic gonzo. (laughs) <laughs> is what I would say. But again, they what accent does he have? Is it Italian or is it like a Jewish type accent that they give him? I thought it was like Boston Italian. Yeah. And yeah, it is kind of like that. <laughs> Jedi mind and tricks don't work on me. Yeah. Only money. I don't think it, it's... Okay, no, it's not Italian. But it's it's something like that, you know? Like it's yeah. an Eastern European yeah. kind of American integrated with real, accent. With a real gravelly voice as well. Yeah. But I mean... Watto's character, actually, I felt a bit of sympathy for him because he loses everything, but that's because he's so greedy, and so it's kind of mm. karma. But when he says, acknowledges he loses everything, like the, he's a fully CGI character, and they put a lot of emotion in his face at that point, I thought. And I, I'm like... Yeah, again, oh. on, the, on the special effects, it's like another character where it's like, wow, this is... Yeah, that works. Mm. Like, it looks really good. Yeah. I thought he served his purpose, and I don't really have anything... You yeah, see well, him later as well. You see him in the next one. Yeah. Similar to Jar Jar, he just kind of has like a cameo. Yeah, like when they go to back fill to, gaps to see Shmi and stuff like that. But yeah. um, I like how they gave his character the ability to not be um, not be fooled by Jedi mind tricks. Yeah. So it kind of made them need to think outside the box because imagine yeah. they just get there and they're just like, um, give us parts, blah, blah, blah. And then they fix their ship and they go. Hmm. Dun, 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 yeah, end of the movie. Yeah. Well, no Anakin. Yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> They, like, you would have had Padme going, you're a weird boy, and then they walk out. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. <laughs> and that is done. We need to talk about C-3PO a little bit more. The unfinished parts showing C-3PO I made like by Anakin Skywalker. I mean, you mentioned how the universe is, like, it's all together, so very small. Mm. So, yeah, I don't know. It, it just makes you think of moments in the original trilogy, like when Darth Vader, you know rips up C-3PO's part. I mean, you don't actually see the scene, but you see C-3PO being, you know, comes out of the room and he's, he's all in pieces. I've forgotten about that. On Cloud City, I think it's... But he doesn't, though. I think Chewie, like, pulls him out of the thing and he's all in parts. Yeah, because Darth Vader had done it. But you think there would have been, oh, like... Oh, that's a huge pothole. Yeah, because it's like... You think it'd be like, like, hey, 
that one robot I, I, I made one time. Yeah. But I don't know. Anakin in this movie doesn't exactly seem to have too much of an emotional attachment to it. Well, he just kind of says, like, and goes, See ya. like, sorry I didn't fix you. I'll give you, you know, coverings. Okay, bye. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess he was just, it was just another machine that he was working on. No yeah. big deal. But, oh, and he wouldn't recognise him later anyway. I guess, because he's all gold. Because he doesn't, like, C-3PO doesn't walk up and go, Annie! Kind of thing. <laughs> he just, he's just there. And there are other protocol droids with the coverings. Like, That's you true, see them yeah. at the start of this movie. There's a silver one. I just think, I don't know, that, so, doing this to the, the story, it's just like, it creates, it makes the world so much smaller. Yeah. And it, I guess, like you said, you can look at it as like, well, it's just parts crossing from fate and the force and the universe. Yeah. Everything happens for a reason, but... I don't know. I fan think, service. We just needed to put C three C three in the. I think it's hundred percent fan service. But if you think outside the box, you can write it off within the just universe they've it. constructed. That it is also the force enacting its will. Just go with it. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's talk. Let's, let's get out of the characters. Let's go. Let's talk about one of the best elements of this movie. Pod racing. Pod racing. Yes. Do you like it? I do like pod racing. Did you play the 64 game, pod racing? Yes. Yeah, I didn't have a 64. Every time I went to my friend's house who had pod racing, yeah. we played pod racing. We, I played it. I it played was it. fun and it was very difficult. It was. Yeah. Actually, I think I've, I've got a... Do I have a downloaded version? Not a not an illegal one. Like a, like a legit... When I bought my PlayStation, I bought the, the Darth Vader cover mm. for the PlayStation 4. Um, and it came with digital downloads for four like old Star Wars games. I think pod racing's on there. I think. Yeah, right. Probably. I could be making that up. I wonder, I if, wonder if Rogue Squadron was on there. That was a good movie. Not a movie, um, game. Yeah, that was, game. Wasn't that like on great. PS2 and GameCube and stuff, that one? No, that was on 64. Oh, very nice. Anyway, went off yeah. track there for a bit. But, but pod racing, out of all the criticisms of this movie, the movie gave us pod racing, which I think is phenomenal. Both special effects wise, just the scene. You could just watch this scene and have a good time. Like, yeah. There's. It's fun. It's crazy. Um, mm. The sounds, yeah. like oh, it's just more sounds to add to the Star Wars catalog of, yeah. of folly noises. I love the pod raising. And like when he hits like the boost, and it's like it's that consistent, <laughs> like this. And it's yeah, the sounds, man. Like it's the noises. Good, good stuff. Yeah, it's in fact, I, I rate this as probably the better part of the movie. The, apart from the lightsaber fighting, yeah. which I find really really cool. This is like the part of the movie where it's engaging the most. The rest of it's like, yeah, okay. But it, I really, I really enjoyed it because it it keeps a high, high level of tension throughout the whole race. Like it's lap after lap, and he's progressing, and it starts slow because he can't get his yeah. he can't get his machine going, and then but he's not alone. It's not like he's it's like the engine floods or something. I don't know. Is that yeah. the right term for <laughs> something like that? Basically, or he, stall, he stalls it and floods it, and he's got to f- get it going again. And then there's also somebody else who also can't do it. Whose power coupling is breaking? Yeah, it's just blows so up cool. or just spins um, out of control. But yeah, progressively what, he, during that throughout the race, he progressively gets more and more, and you see the absolute carnage <laughs> and I, how dangerous. What the I race like is. about the race and how Anakin does succeed is like basically everyone else needs their ship needs to or pod racer needs to basically blow up, yeah, uh, crash into something yeah. like. Did, people, did these characters die like from these accidents? I think some of them did. Like, but that's essentially how the race progresses, though. It's like explosion, explosion. So he's like, okay, now I'm in this position. Yeah. Now I'm in. So when he's in second position, he's also in last position because yeah. there's no one else behind him because yeah. they're all. Oh, he does overtake a couple of them, but yeah. 
but you've got like the, you've got the big the canyon dune turn where you've got the um sand people is that what they're called uh yeah are yeah, yeah. uh, the sand people or are they like the raiders Whatever. Again, see, Tuscan all, Raiders. Tuscan, Tuscan Raiders. Raiders. Yeah. yeah. See, so Star Wars all, terminology. I'm yeah. not. I'm not all yeah. into it. That's... And they're they're shooting at the pod, and then basically the announcer goes, "Oh, we've got some Tuscan Raiders Tuscan Raider. on a June turn," and they're like, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> "I mean, they're doing like it's as if it's like you know, like a Ferrari one race or whatever yeah. you call it. You know, like yeah. in, in Italy or something. You know, it's but it's really well done. I think. Yeah, the design of the pod races. You know, like with the beams and sort of in yeah. front. It's like. Robot Wars kind of yeah. crazy. I love it. It's nuts. I think it's, and it's great. And I think that was... This is probably the scene that as a child watching this and being like, oh, wow, this is what Star Wars is then? This is cool. Yeah. Like, it's and, like, I've never seen this before in a movie or something. Like, this yeah. is so different. And how detailed are the sets? Like, and not all of that's digital. Some of it, some of that is is real, but it's just obviously filmed. It's just, they found like, you know, canyons and, and stuff. pieces, But yeah. the set... Of where they like the start and the finish line, that's a miniature, and so when it comes in, oh cool! So the the attention to detail is incredible, and they obviously have digital crowds in the seats and stuff. But all of like the big grandstand and all of that, that's all that's all a miniature, which is quite interesting. Um, not just interesting, bloody well done, I think. <laughs> so very super super detailed. Well, I really do like the pod racing. It's yeah, a standout scene for the movie. Mm. Let's. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna bring up midichlorians again because I want to talk about all this in. in I guess a detail. Like so, when Qui Gon discovers that Anakin has a high midichlorian rate, mm. which indicates that the Force is strong within him, you know, it leads to the he whole. He has a stronger connection to yeah, the Force. There's a chance that he could be the chosen one. So there's this whole mm. prophecy that the, yeah. the movie puts forward that there is a chosen one that will bring balance mm. to the force and in a way that does come true with Darth Vader eventually you know reverting back to Anakin Skywalker and you know throwing the emperor off you know that thing yeah. you know bringing balance like he does it he does bring balance to the force just not in the way that I mean it took a while to get there but it still happened they didn't know yeah. exactly the details how do you feel of the whole prophecy thing that we we get you know like I mean, like, like you said, this movie is about Qui-Gon Jinn, but it very much is all about setting up Anakin Skywalker to be the infamous Darth Vader. Yeah, Where I think it going. plays out. And so what I mean by that is, I think the Jedi were, if you think, watch it over this trilogy, they are an incredibly powerful force. They're super prominent. Everybody know, knows who they are as well, but they have legitimate power, structure, numbers, everything. Anakin single-handedly brings balance and drops them right down to the level of the Sith, which is the two and like a like just the, a couple the of people. Sith, even at this point in time, is it's just uh, a couple of people. Yeah, like they're, they're in the shadows. Extinct. Are they? Do they? Are they real? So when oh the God, Jedi Council, which we'll talk about in a second, are talking about bringing balance to the Force, I feel like they, in their arrogance, are not aware that they are the imbalance of the Force. Yeah, they have the high ground. Yeah, correct. Hey, hey, Star Wars reference. And that's where, so that's where. <laughs> Anakin being the chosen one, it fits, I think, in my mind perfectly because he does. It's just not the balance that everyone would like to mm. see, but he brings it down to a more fundamental level of only a few people. So you're saying he brings balance when you know Order sixty six yes. is is engaged and yeah. the Jedi pretty much are on the run. Yeah. Most of them are made extinct. So Correct. is that when he's bringing balance, or is yeah. he bringing balance at the end of Empire Strikes Back? 
Or Return of the Jedi, sorry. When he throws well the Emperor off and... Minor spoiler if you haven't watched the trailers to um, Rise of Skywalker, but I'm sure everyone, a lot of people have seen. He's going to talk about... Um, <laughs> the Emperor... He, he can't speak, he's, been, he's still alive. So, or is he? Who knows? Have you seen his we, physical body? You've seen his chair, his hood, and him laughing... So unless that's and you see Ray recoil in fear, whatever the hell any of that means, that's in the trailer, people. So, um, so some people don't watch like the third trailer a lot. You know, you know he's in it. Don't be silly. I know that you don't watch all the trailers. I've heard that he's in it. So. Yeah. So, but my point being is, in that sense, and according to Lucas, a lot of the things generally were like scripted out to a point. And then Disney took over and kind of manipulated it. But generally speaking, Lucas could have very well have thought from that point in the 70s that Sidious is still alive. He's just Ooh. fallen down a hole. Darth Morph. So well, that's he it. He fell down a hole. Luke, saw... Luke fell down a hole. Unless you see the body and it's on fire. Yeah. yeah. That's it. So my point being is, no, if that if that's true and that was planned from the conclusion of all of the... Then no, Anakin didn't bring balance by killing the Emperor. He brought balance by killing all the Jedi. Oh. That's my interpretation. I like it. So, I like and it. if that's the case, then that means, yeah, that means he was the chosen one and, and prophecy mm. fulfilled. Done. I want to, speaking of prophecies and what's to come, the one, the, I think the biggest fan service moment, and I'm pretty sure this line is purely in here just to make people go, ooh, is when Anakin Skywalker does meet Obi-Wan Kenobi when Quilongin introduces mm. them to each other and... Liam Mason, he says, Anakin Skywalker, meet Obi-Wan Kenobi. I mean, that is the moment where you go, Ooh! Yeah. <laughs> you know what's to come. You know, it's yeah. like, oh, you know, they're going to be, there's going to be a whole thing with them. And That's the same, like, I think Luke has put in so many of those moments, though, in this, this trilogy. Like, Phantom Menace, that's an example of it. In Attack of the Clones, Jango Fett and Boba Fett. Purely fan service, not required in any way. And that's all we need of Jango Fett. Yeah. We don't need any more. Like, there's enough. Yeah. The mystery is almost ruined there. Yeah. Like. But there, there's lots of little those little nods. Having Jabba the Hutt at the pod race, just fan service. Yeah. He yeah. Didn't, didn't need to be there, but he's there. Like, you could have got away with that whole concept of not seeing Jabba the Hutt. He's a gangster. He likes yeah. to... Same, same with having C-3PO in it as, as Anakin's well, that's project. So a, lot of, a lot of fan doesn't service. Doesn't need to be there. So... Anyway, um, should we talk about the Jedi Council really quickly? We should. Bunch of hypocrites. <laughs> well, I feel like I already feel negative uh, against them because they're like, oh, they're the reason the Force is imbalanced because they have too much power. Correct. That's what I, I honestly think that was. That's the the you know behind it all. That's like the undergoing yeah. theme of it is that they are just too powerful. There's a whole bunch of unnamed characters. I mean, they probably do have names. I don't know what they are. You know, mm. weird guy with the head and the beard and stuff. Oh, they've got, they all got names. Yeah, yeah. But there's Yoda. He doesn't have a species, which we now we know still doesn't exist. Um, but we've got Yoda. We still don't know. Yeah, we've got no species. Never even thought about it. We just um, know that they have babies. Funny, Yoda, you know, wasn't introduced until... The Empire Strikes Back, right? So the second film, you know, he's a puppet. When we mm. see him in Return of the Jedi, he's a puppet. Mm. When we see him theatrically and also on the DVD, special edition of... This film, mm. he's a puppet. If you watch him on Blu-ray, he's, not. he's CGI yeah. all the way. And I think he's better CGI in this one than he is in the rest of the trilogy. 
Yeah, when like in episode when two, when he's moving three, around, is when he's like, bouncing around like crazy, like those yeah. lightsaber doors are all yeah. intense and all mad. But yeah, when he's sitting in his Jedi Council chair, when that's all he needs to be doing, he's, it looks it looks good. Yeah, the CGI. I it's probably one of the only changes, you know, updates to the Star Wars movie where I'm like, okay, you know, it's fine. It doesn't distract like distract too much. It's mm. in line with how he looks, I guess, in in two and three. So it's okay. I still prefer to watch. I wish it was in HD, but I still prefer to watch the DVD theatrical version of the yeah. movie because you get that puppet, and it's like I just I like it. I like when Yoda's a puppet. Mm. It's just it's real. He's there, and it's good puppet work. Yeah, and, I, and Frank Oz. Yeah, yeah. Iconic, iconic. Is Frank Oz still with us? I think he is. Frank Oz is still with us. He was in. He was in the Last Jedi. Keeping track of all these Which movie titles. Which I feel or... you 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 debunked this on me. I think I think think that they used a puppet again for the Last Jedi. But you reckon it was CGI to look like a puppet? Yeah, I think it was CGI. Well, it's bloody, like <laughs> it's bloody good. It's bloody good CGI because it doesn't. I, I don't know if I ever confirmed that, but that was my impression at the time, mm. and that's what I've I've stuck with. But it's it's good seeing Yoda again, and he's more prominent in the prequels. Mm. Um, it's just it, it still baffles me to this day. That's like Yoda is not in the first Star Wars movie. Yeah. Like, it's mental. Like, yeah. well, he's such a character. Like, he's such yeah. a big Star Wars character. Yeah. And he's so weird in um, Emperor, Empress Strikes Back. He's, like, in here. Yeah, he's like, he's... wise, and he's giving sage advice, but he's also... He's not quirky. He's very much down yeah. to earth. When you meet him in the original yeah. trilogy, he's, like... He's, like, uh, weird. He's, like, he's, he's actually, like, a Muppet. Like, yeah. he's... Yeah. He's crazy. He's nuts. However, isolation does make people crazy and yeah. nuts. So and being on an island... Very slightly like, older. <laughs> I don't know why he chose that place to stay. But anyway... Somewhere to hide. Somewhere to hide. He was happy. He had his little hut. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, so Yoda... Yeah, cool. Frank Oz is the one who portrays him and Frank Oz cannot be faulted. So, um, Mace Windu. So, Samuel, Samuel Jackson's Jackson. in a Star Wars movie. So he is. Now, he expressed before... As, you know, in... You know, from 1994 onwards when Luke started developing these, he expressed an interest in portraying a character. It didn't matter who. Yeah. And so... He just wanted some sort so of... So Luke has created the character. Like, Mace Windu didn't really exist within any kind of... Any any concept before yeah. this. And then he became canon. So... And then from there, it obviously changes. So... I thought he was great. Like, the perfect... He's just a cool, calm, and collective. And he, he's a devel- he develops over time as well and throughout the trilogy. Yeah, and he gets more but, action and stuff. Yeah. Uh, over the next couple movies. Yeah. Is he uh, the leader? It's not very clear who... Jedis. Yeah, he just seems to be the most... Like, he's the leading swordsman, but he just seems to be the one who's making the calls. Well, I think when they're, when they're in battle, I, I think he has a prominent role, purely because it's Sam Samuel Jackson, and yeah. it's a movie. Um, but yeah, I guess, maybe... I don't know, I wouldn't say he's... A leader of any sort. I mean, he's but, on the council, so he's in high regards. But when you when they're in their consulting moments of Qui Gon, Obi Wan, they're talking to them. He seems to be leading the conversation, and then Yoda turns into a consultant. So like Mace Windu mm. turns to him and gets his thoughts, and then he Mace Windu is the one that actually says, "You're not doing this." Yeah. Again, it could just be the, the fact that it's Samuel Jackson. We've got him in a part. Let's give him things to say. So the scene. What do you reckon about his portrayal? Of this character, I, I think with with the limited screen time you get with him, you know, in this role on the council, very like mystic sort of, like, yeah, 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 so yeah. powerful Samuel Jackson. So you know, he's he's delivering Jesus, lines like 
Wow, fantastic! And yeah, he yeah. gets more action stuff going forward. But in this movie, for what you what you get of him, he's yeah. it's like mm, I want to see more of him. Mm. It makes you go, I want to see him in action. So then we get to that eventually. It's, yeah. it's a good path. But I don't. He doesn't use a lightsaber in this movie, does he? No, no. So it's so later you don't find on. Find out that he's got a purple one until the yeah. next movie. Samuel Jackson's favorite color is actually purple. Yeah, I've read that isn't it, in the production yeah, notes as well. Is is that, cool. So that was a choice. But unrelated to this movie, I guess. <laughs> um, he, in this movie, I feel like he is also the embodiment of the arrogance of the council. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's like, I don't feel like we would like the Sith would reemerge without us understand, like being aware. But it's like you, you're obviously preoccupied with. You're blind to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You could guess, have, you could whenever, have been, yeah, because like the senator is under their freaking noses the, whole, the time. whole time. Whenever you have a council though in a movie, whether it be a Jedi council, a Christmas council, um, Christmas council. council of the, <laughs> I don't know, I've watched Noel recently. Anyway, <laughs> there's a Christmas council. Yeah. But if you, whenever there's a council, they're usually, if not, if not actually painted the bad guys, they're usually inept in some way, and they need to be swayed, changed. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You have interactions with our local council. Like, uh, <laughs> don't you dare put me on that spot. Are they are they inept? Do they need some persuasion of the Jedi kind? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm I'm not at liberty to say. Although I do, <laughs> not in this I, do I do I do know that Jedi mind tricks do not work on them. Have you you've tried? Yeah. Apparently that's a myth. <laughs> don't try if you're ever in a decision making area. Don't try to wave your hand. <laughs> try to change people's minds. Anyway, um, so anyway, that's the Jedi Council. Let's talk about what we really want to talk about this whole time. Been building to it. Duel of the Fates. Yeah. Duel of Fates? Whatever. Yeah, Duel of Fates. Duel of Fates. So it's a theme. It's a, it's a song. It's the track title. John Williams. Yeah. But, but not just that. We'll talk about that in a second. It is a theme. The theme, the concept of dueling and two powers dueling is present throughout the whole like movie and especially the climax yeah, and that's course, what you're yeah. saying what we're going to talk about in a second but the music amazing and i think like i think everybody went into this movie thinking that john williams couldn't have added anything more to the star wars yeah like you've world. got your, you've got your main tracks of star wars yeah. you know like the yeah. the the tatooine like suns or moons or whatever it is wow yeah, yeah. i'm really a bad star wars person yeah <laughs> you know, the the Imperial March, mm. um, and then I guess like the main theme or the closing credits, like they're they're the tracks yeah. that you've got. What else can you do? Yeah. Uh, it's like, wow, he's he's bringing more stuff, and it's new. It yeah. still fits. It also does feel like a slightly different Star Wars era, and that's what it is. That's where mm. we are. But this the, this final act, there's so much going on. This is the all out climactic thing, and yeah. let's just start off with the Jedi's versus Darth Maul. Amazing. Like, like the out of all the Star Wars I've seen, and there's been moments where I'm like, wow, that was an epic lightsaber fight or something like that. Out of all the lightsaber fights, this is my favourite still. I'm just trying to think. I'm thinking of like, you know, there's... I, would, I think I would agree, although... There are cool ones. There's, there's a portion of the one between Anakin and Obi-Wan. No, Not yeah. the whole fight, but there's a portion of it when they're... There's actually pretty much one move dist- where they swing their lightsabers around like that, and then they I get distracted do- in in like episode three. It's it's a whole CGI everything there. Everything yeah. CGI. Like yeah. this is too much going on in that regard. It takes it away from the lightsaber fight. Yeah. But here it's like it's very yeah. practical. It's mm. it's just these it's these actors mm. just using these smashing out choreography. Yeah, yeah like just, it's all that. So there's criticisms to the to this where they some people thought, and this might have been purists. 
um, saying that this was too much of a structured choreo- choreographed fight because it didn't feel real, whereas the originals felt more real because they were probably actually legitimately hitting things and and they were they were not these super force power Jedi. Yeah, yeah. However, if you put it through the the context of you've got people fighting who have all have force ability, which is some of that's preemptive and predictive. It makes sense that they would be so much at a higher level, like with these fights, because they're seeing the future as they're fighting. Like they're getting that preemptive thing, so they can just perform better. And that's why. So I shut down anybody who says, "Oh, they're just too good. Why weren't they that good compared to the others?" It's like, yeah, but you're talking about them at the peak of their power. They're young, yeah, and they've got force ability. Even, of course, they're going to be better. I feel like the the the, the lightsaber duel that they have here in this movie is a lot closer. Like, yeah, they're fitter, they're younger, like, it's all, it's all, like, it's more in line with what you got mm. in the, you know, I think in Luke versus Darth Vader or something, you know, th- those sort of lightsaber. There's a bit more action, sort of, like, they're moving, but it's still, you know, like, it's, like, not too chunky. When you get to episode two and three, that's when you have, you know, the Jedi's just flipping around, and it's like, yeah. there is no gravity, like, they're yeah. just doing everything, and mm. the fights become overly saturated in CGI, yeah. and that kind of takes me out, I'm like, like, that's bonkers, and yeah. I'm like, that's not in line with anything we've we've yeah. had, or, or we will get in the future. If that makes sense. Star Wars is confusing, yeah. but this fight is still very grounded, and I don't know the setting. You've got those red beam like door things, yeah. whatever they are, and it's just the tension. You know, like, there's yeah. I love the fight, and it's Darth Maul with his dual edge lightsaber yeah. just dueling. There's only like when when we saw um, Kylo Ren. With his first lightsaber, I remember that in the trailers for the, the Force Awakens. How yeah. that, that battle, like that's like where, a yeah. claymore kind of thing almost. Um, they that's in the name of a sword, by the way. If you play Skyrim or anything like that, sure, yeah, nah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah so they've got the big things. That I thought was very real, and that that was the first time since Phantom Menace where I felt like it's a real fight. Everything else is like you said, zero gravity, jumping around everywhere, crazy. Yeah, and I don't like that. Yeah, this is fantastic, and they so you. You've got two of you've got the two Jedi's fighting Maul. Then they get separated, and Qui Gon it falls. It basically gets killed, and then you get Obi Wan basically redeeming and going to town. Obi Wan's moment, yeah. That's... And that portion of the fight is unreal because he's angry. It's like angry fighting, yeah. But it's not not slamming fighting like Luke does with with Darth Vader. It's proper. It's focused yeah. angry fighting. But did you see? Like there's a, it gets to a climax and all of it like in the choreography and then all of a sudden so Obi Wan gets pushed down the hole but the reason that happens is Darth Maul uses the Force on him and I only picked that up to be honest on like this viewing most recently I thought he got knocked into the hole yeah and like this is yeah, and like that's how he gets disarmed but no Darth Maul kind of does this weird thing and then gets his hand out and shoves it in his face and like pushes him off the edge. Uh, amazing it's the fantastic force. and that's yeah. also where you see you see Darth Maul use the force to open a door where he picks something up and throws it at the the controller and it hits it and smashes it and it opens the door it's all very yeah very just so subtle rudimentary things. basic yeah f- not over the top force well you just ability. think they're just whacking they're whacking lightsabers but it's yeah. like no there's a lot more kind of it's detailed yeah. what they're doing it's, 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 it's fantastic. Um, at the same time, we've got three other sort of... Conflicts happening. Yeah, pretty yeah. much going on. We've got the gun, Gungans versus the droids. So this is where this is like Lord of the Rings-style battlefield, out in the open, lots of CGI at use, but that's okay. I reckon it still looks pretty decent. 
It looks decent, but you can tell, like, so all of the gun, the droids look still even now look amazing. I think they're texturing, they they're all roughed yeah. up and they they're, they're battle hardened. You can tell, but Gungans just look like plasticine, weird. I, I don't like them. I like Jar Jar. <laughs> One downside to watching the Blu-ray again is us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Jar Jar, when he's by himself, I think looks unreal. But when you have when you have on mass, yeah. and they all kind of look identical. They're all little models. They haven't been individualized yeah. too much, and like it kind of really stuck out to me. the The fight itself, I think it starts off perfectly where they they're setting up everyone like the the Gungans stop. They put the shield down. The droids appear, and then the tanks open fire, and then it cuts to one of the other things. So. And then when it comes back, they're still firing. So it's just like they just would have been artillery hammering them for like two or five, like five <laughs> yeah. minutes. Um, Non-stop. But I just think it was good. It sidesteps to have a moment with Jar Jar where he's like trying to launch like that, the, those beam things on like the yeah. catapult. And it's like, it's, it's just him being a dickhead again. Yeah, it's just is... being super clumsy. So if they took Jar Jar out of that, that would have been actually quite an interesting just little give battle. Us the, just give us the battle, the fighting yeah. and the... Yeah. Like the the war. Yeah. <laughs> Give us the war. It's the first start of the Star Wars. Um, yeah. But, I mean, overall, I think, yeah, take the silliness out of it. It's pretty good fun. But, yeah. Yeah. It look, it, I mean, look, the droid stuff especially looks amazing even today. Just some of the Gungan stuff, not quite. That's different to fighting Stormtroopers, so we got that. Yeah. Um, Padme versus Viceroy Gunray. So, essentially, it's her and, like, you know, her security teams and stuff yeah. like that throughout like the Naboo palaces and whatnot they're chasing him down yeah his other you know more droids and stuff on the way other other dudes so this is where we get like the the shoot them up moment and much like Princess Leia is the one who was always handling you know like the the guns and the Mm. just like her mother Padme was had that moment where she could Mm. run around with a gun yeah never saw a lightsaber in her hand but she's the one with the with the laser pistols. Out of the Jewel, Jewel of Fates, you know, hierarchy of different battles happening consecutively, this is my least favourite. It's boring. <laughs> um, but not just that. Well, you get a mix, though. That's the thing. Like, you get a mix of different fronts. Yeah. All happening in the, in the one place. Oh, no, so, so the articulating it is good. So you, And it feels, the pacing feels spot on. Like, you know something's happening. Everything's happening. Yeah. It feels great. But this is, this one, there's just continuity errors with this particular battle where, like... That especially something that glares at me and it has for years when they shoot the window open there's about 20 people that rush out onto the ledge and then the next cut shows you shooting them shooting cables and all of a sudden there's about 12 cables that go up and then when they all go up all of a sudden there's only about 8 people on the thing <laughs> so it's it, it changes and it's like and if you're paying attention to it you're like what the hell or why hopefully by the time you've got to this part of the movie you've you've uh... Tune well, there's, out a little bit, so you know there's that. so many other areas where where the special effects like create issues for me as well. But this one's more about the continuity. Like, if you've got twelve people standing there, why do you not have twelve people going up? Yeah. Like you see, well, more than that. So twenty people go out, then twelve little cables go up, and then eight people appear. It's like, where is that change? Yeah, like more than half, so, yeah. or less, like sort of. So thing. constructing that that just that scene is enough to distract from that element. Ooh. But the rest of it's pretty awesome. The last, the last, I guess, fragment of it is Anakin versus the Federation droid control ship. So this is where we get reminiscent of Luke Skywalker helping out with the, you know, mm. taking down the Death Star. Although this time it's completely unintentional. Yeah, accident, like 
Qui-Gon puts Anakin in the cockpit just to, as a safety precaution, like, just yeah. stay there, don't move. Yeah. And then he's like, I need to help them. R2's there with him. So, again, yeah. very much like Luke Skywalker and his mm. gunships or whatever they call him. He starts just using the, the guns and stuff on the on the plane. Mm. Ends up going into space, assisting with the flight there again. Mm. Autopilot, but he does what he needs to do. Oh, the line. What does he say? Like, I'll do this a... This is pod racing. He does, when he's like, I'll do a flip. That's a good trick. We'll do a roll. We'll roll something, yeah. Yeah, and he... Yeah. Okay. The dialogue is great. He, it, it is. It just feels like... This whole whole scene feels like fan service. It doesn't feel like there's any risk at all. Like, he's on autopilot, but he still seems to be dodging everything. It's weird. Yeah, it's, it's, it makes our, our minds go, oh, look, this is Luke Skywalker's father doing what Luke's... We loved Luke Skywalker doing that. This is yeah. his father doing that as well. Like, yeah. He's also a pilot. He's also awesome doing stuff. Yeah. As a nine-year-old, that's cool, but it's like... As soon as he says, yippee, you just go, I want to, yeah. god damn it. Like, yeah. we're Darth Maul, go back to that. Like, yeah. And it's, it's it's unfortunate. Yeah. But he's... Yeah. But, I mean, I like it because it still ties in with the overall, like, the pacing It works really well. He crashes his ship inside the droid thing, accidentally shoots a torpedo into the re- reactor, and yeah. it's like, okay. And then he flies out, and then all of a sudden the battle droids on the ground die which saves the Gungans, and at that point, it all comes to a conclusion. Yeah. So the pacing's good; it works, but it's all—it's just fan service. All of these, like all of these battlefields, it's all what you think when you think Star Wars. You, know, you think of lightsaber fights, battles in the in space. You know, like with the with the gunships and stuff. Mm. Um, people running around like with laser pistols shooting things, and then you've got yeah. like the big like sort of battleground sort mm. of army army fights, which you don't get much of. In like the original trilogy, yeah, somewhat, but not to this level. Yeah. But put them all together, and it's like, oh yeah, that's Star Wars. Yeah. So it's like it paints the picture. Whether they work as well as you know, the lightsaber fight is just so good that you just want to just watch that. Yeah. But it's all it's all part and parcel. And yeah, that's it. Yeah, I think I think that's it. I think that covers covers most of that stuff. Does that cover the Phantom Menace? <laughs> I think it does. Wait, what is the Phantom Menace? It's Darth Sidious. Okay. Because no one knows, even though we know as an audience, nobody knows nobody in that knows. universe that there's someone pulling the strings. So he's a menace, but he's a fandom, so he's sort of like behind the curtains. Correct. Behind the, oh. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's taken almost 20 years to work that out. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. We've covered, we've covered 1 million hours of content. I think it's time we got to our rating. You keen? Yeah. Do you want to go first? No, you go first. Damn. <laughs> okay. No, okay. All right. I have to say, touching on what we said before, Enjoyed this movie because I was the right t- age and target for it. Um, as I've aged, I now regard the movie as a little bit more juvenile than perhaps I gave it credit for when it, when, it, when I was younger. I just kind of was along for the ride because I was a kid. Now as a 33-year-old man, I there's definitely elements of it that really grate me. However, looking at it as what it is and the way it was formulated and who I think it was targeted at, I don't think it's as big... Uh, it's a, it's not as big a failure as people give it credit for. I think it ticks the boxes that it was meant to tick. It's just that the wrong audience is the one that are getting a say. Mm. Like, if you had a chance to hear reviews from 13-year-olds when this movie came out, I think you would have a much higher rating because <laughs> they very much were served well. This is yeah. a very good kids movie. It just sucks that people who are older than that have such an ownership and nostalgic value to this. Uh, and ownership, yeah, ownership of it, that 
they're the ones with the voice and they're the ones that actually critique it and say, no, it's a terrible Star Wars movie. You go, yeah, it is a terrible Star Wars movie. Fantastic kids movie. Not kids movie, but young people's movie. It is. Honestly, it is. I Looking back on it, the special effects, some of it has dated a little bit, some of it not. Some of it's still friggin' amazing. I do have to say, though, any ship that is in a landing, like especially the Naboo cruiser landing in forests, you can tell that that forest is live action and, and that thing is just getting plopped and yeah. the trees overtake it and it goes through the trees and stuff. It's They could have done a better job on that kind of stuff even back in 1999. They should have known that. but <laughs> They anyway. should have done better. Um, overall, hate Jake Lloyd. Sorry, dude. Um, there's so many more redeeming qualities, but this is definitely a middle-of-the-ground movie, so it can't, for me, even with the lightsaber jewels and stuff, it's no more than a three. Like, it sits at a three solidly. I couldn't go. I couldn't justify going higher. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, as a... Oh, and if, the music. I love the music. <laughs> if you look at this as a, as a kid's movie, yeah, this is an insane kid's movie. This is big budget, so much going on. Like, well, mate, kids, like, impressive. But, you know, if you look at it as a mainstream movie for everyone, yeah, it definitely has big faults. And I won't lean too much on the faults because I think you know what they are. <laughs> but the highlights, yeah, the John Williams music, what he's doing Gosh. here fantastic um the duel of fate the the jedi darth maul fight you know the, the lights are fantastic the pod racing love the pod racing yeah yoda as a puppet um <laughs> you know what else is good you know there's there's lots to there's lots of love here and liam neeson ewan mcgregor i think you know kind of wish we got to see more of them together going yeah. forward but that's you know that's all good there's a lot to to like and maybe it's a bit of nostalgic um, feeling and maybe it's me, you know, being my first Star Wars. It will always have that special place, but it's definitely not the worst Star Wars movie. Um, that's a toss up between Solo and Episode Two. Do you not yeah, like I'm Episode that out Two? There. No. Oh man, the oh. worst. The, I said, I said, I, I said on internet forum. Actually, we'll finish your rating and then we'll talk about. That. I'm also coming in at a three out of five, and I think I, yeah. yeah, it's pretty good. But there's a lot going on that. I really like, and yeah, the, the special effects for the most part are still pretty decent. So I mean, to give it anything less than a three would just be would just be silly. I reckon it's not that horrible of a movie. There's just a lot of really horrible, cringy stuff in it, but yeah. not enough to really. It's not unwatchable. I'll happily sit through it again mm. whenever watching a uh, when we're never doing a Star Wars marathon or anything like that. So, right. but yeah, it's number two. Can can't I say? It. Can't do it. Can I say? Right. Number two, if you just take away the first two acts, the third act is once definitely the, good enough once to you get redeem the trio it. back together. As soon as they're in that arena, it's like this is amazing. It's incredible. It's you not, get to see the Clone enough. Wars commence. Yeah, I think it is good enough to be honest. No, it's not good enough to bring that movie up. And there's just when when two thirds of the movie is, oh, I just so think bad. that I just think that Lucas needs to go to jail for his writing ability because he, <laughs> he was terrible and the actors had no choice. I like out of number two. Not only we're going to go into into it because hopefully we'll review it one day. But I think Padme and Ewan, um, so Natalie Portman and Ewan McGregor are the ones that hold that movie yeah. the whole way through. Padme's great. Oh yeah, don't even get me started on Hayden Christensen. Like, has he made a good movie? What has he? Has he? What about Jumper? That's a great movie. That's an awful movie. I almost swore then. That's an awful movie. No, you are incorrect, sir. No, that is... You know what? I'm going to agree to disagree, but you are wrong. (laughs) I don't agree to that. It's a terrible movie. I liked it. I thought it was great. It had Jamie Bell in it, too. 
Oh, it was just entertaining. Yeah. Well, so that's our review of Jumper. Um, <laughs> no, that is Samuel L. Jackson, too, didn't it? Didn't it? it did. <laughs> okay, cool. All right, that's our review. Yep, we're done. That was our rewind, <laughs> <laughs> that was our rewind to 1999. Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Yes. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Rewind and Review um, just as much as we did. As always, we'll remind you that any feedback, either positive or negative, or uh, any rewind requests as well, can be sent to us via email at thatfilmstudiopodcast at gmail.com. Or you can reach out to us on either That Film Studio or Rewind and Review's Facebook pages. Like and follow these pages whilst you're at it. Subscribe and leave us a review on SoundCloud and iTunes as it does help others like yourself find the podcast. You can find our entire catalogue of episodes on the That Film Studio website. Correct. Check it out, thatfilmstudiopodcast.com. Yes. Um, coming soon from That Film Studio um, is a review of Star Wars uh, episode, was it nine, if my Roman neurals. <laughs> you think you would know, though, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, wouldn't true. You know? Good point. Um, the Rise of Skywalker, of course. Um, Sounds Like Comics have a recent episode looking at... Jason, what is it? Superman Returns, I believe. Excellent. <laughs> and our next episode here at Rewind and Review, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Thank you for listening. So you have watched the vacation movies? or you? Or... I know the European one. That was not very good. Thank you for listening. This has <laughs> been another Rewind and Review. See you on our next trip. See ya. Please rewind this cassette before returning it to your video library.